Tales of the Jedi is Dave Filoni's anthology of six shorts that examine two characters, Ahsoka Tano and Count Dooku, and their respective paths as lost Jedi. Join us as we dive deep into this passion project from Lucasfilm Animation. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and we have arrived finally at Tales of the Jedi time, and this did not disappoint at all. Over the moon, obsessed with this anthology. I'm so excited. We are so lucky. We're just so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) It is... I mean, I think we started the year with hearing rumors about this show, right? It, it, the logo appeared on some like Lucasfilm holiday Timeline, gift. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we were kind of everyone was kind of like, "What is that?" It was kind of sort of leaky, right? And then at celebration, once that celebration schedule came out, everyone was sort of like, "Oh my gosh, here we go, we're gonna find it out." And then at celebration. We found out, and Caitlin and I really went through it. We Our minds were absolutely <laughs> blown, and that was in May, and now it is October, and oh my gosh, it's finally here, and this is Caitlin and I's stuff, like bread and butter. <laughs> 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 this is exactly what we want, and I just, it feels so special. It's coming out like alongside Andor, which is also so special, and it's just, this feels so, I don't know, perfect. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, this it's kind of hard to even talk generally about this anthology, this series of six shorts that have come out um, without just wanting to immediately dive in and talk about the episodes <laughs> themselves. But it is, it just feels so good to be watching new animation. And like, I'm so excited for, um, you know, Bat Batch when that comes out next year, but to have like a new animated project uh, here in the back half of the year, you know, completely helmed by Dave Filoni. It just, this is, yeah, like Charlotte said, this is our bread and butter and I'm super excited to dive into it. Um, the panel at Celebration was, I, I would say, our favorite panel from Celebration. It was just, if number one, it felt like a Sky Talkers episode, not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I I really wish they would put that panel up like on Star Wars's YouTube page, all of the panels from Celebration, honestly, but especially that one, because it's just, it's so good. I was able to find a recording of it. So I was able to rewatch it and have, we have like some quotes and stuff to talk through from that panel. And it just, it was so great like when Dave was in that panel actually talking a little bit more about the series rather than you know like KG spoilers stuff like that it felt much more open in a way to talk about story and some story choices that they made throughout this series and things like that so I'm excited that we have that piece as we're going into this recording so hopefully you guys if you um, haven't been able to find your own (laughs) recording of that panel enjoy that aspect of it too but I'm so excited to really dive into these episodes and even thinking about the order that these episodes were in is so great it is not at all what I expected for them to be in chronological order I don't know why I kind of thought it would be you know either one through three is Ahsoka and then the back half is Dooku or they would go every other but the choice to make it chronological I think was so smart we're going to talk about that I feel like 
we just got to start in our parts because I'm already let's getting just ahead start. of myself. <laughs> yeah, let's just start. Let's just start. And first off, we should probably say that we're recording this on October 23rd, a couple days before the show actually officially premieres. And we're very lucky to have seen it early this weekend. We're very excited to talk about it, but we haven't really um, been a part of any sort of like discourse about it or anything like that. We're kind of going into this blind, haven't talked to anyone else about it, you know, the whole the whole deal. So this is just us, <laughs> basically. <laughs> anyway, so in part one, we're going to give our general reaction and overview about the series. Part two, we're going to discuss episodes one through three. And then part three is episodes four through six. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Okay, welcome to part one, where we're talking all about our general reaction and overview. Okay, so we had uh, a really great sneak peek back at Celebration where we saw the very first episode, which was all about Ahsoka and her mother, Pavti. And we both cried in that. (laughs) And I should say off the bat that I think I cried in four out of six of these episodes. Some of it made sense. Some of it absolutely no sense why I was crying. I cried in the first Dooku episode. I don't even know why. I cried in every episode. It's the music for me. (laughs) It's the music. And I'm just so blinded by nostalgia for the Clone Wars at this point. And I think Caitlin and I have talked extensively about like the good and bad of nostalgia on this podcast, but I sort of am so like thankful to this period, like this time period that we continuously get to explore with Star Wars animation. And I feel that way every time I watch something that's like set in this time period. And that kind of includes in a lot of ways, the Bad Batch too, just makes me very emotional. Yeah. And I think that the fact that this anthology, there's actually very little time that's in the actual Clone Wars era. We're seeing um, pieces, a lot of pieces, honestly, before that era begins and then immediately following it. So I think it's it's cool to take a sneak peek at the Clone Wars style and the animation going into this kind of different-ish time period, like earlier, like Phantom Menace timeline and beforehand before that. So I don't know. It was just, yeah, the nostalgia definitely hits hard. The music throughout this entire series is incredible. It's so much more prevalent than a lot of other Star Wars projects, honestly. It It really felt like like a full orchestral score throughout every episode. Like the music was a main character, I feel like. We get that. I think like especially throughout the animated shows, there are like certain pieces of music that definitely stay with you. And the Kiners have done a ton of music for Star Wars and it has all been incredible. But I think like when we think of Clone Wars, we can think of, you know, the opening theme, Ahsoka leaves, Rebels, we have Herosaurs, um, we have Kanan and the Fire. Like those are things that kind of really stand out, I think, over the breadth of music from animated projects and specifically that Kevin Kiner has done. But this, Tales of the Jedi, it's like, (laughs) it feels like a whole other level. And I don't know if it's just because we're looking at such short amount of time, like such a condensed story, but it really feels like the music was just literally turned up a couple notches throughout this series and it just felt so prevalent and like I said like a character itself and really kind of moving with the plot um, in a way that just felt really unique and vibrant I think in this series. I feel like when you break form like you move away from adding another season of the Clone Wars or you move away from the Bad Batch or these like 
you move into the anthology basically and start something new it gives more room to be experimental with music and just the format in general and I think that must be so freeing I think a lot about how I don't have any evidence for this but I wonder when Dave talked about at that panel at Celebration if he was sort of inspired by the concept behind behind Star Wars Visions and was like what if we did something like that for Tales of the Jedi or what if we did something like that for Ahsoka and Dooku or just Ahsoka or something like that like how can he play in that format of anthology right and something he's never done before I guess within Star Wars and I I think that again what I was saying about the music is the music in Visions is so widely different and Mm -hmm. like varies from episode to episode but again when you break the format away from like what you're used to whether that's live action whether that's animation these series that Dave has been working on for a long time I think it gives you a lot more room to play and I'm going to use the word the the phrase that Caitlin and I love that came from uh, the director and producer of the Lego series, the breadth of play. It just it gives it gives you a lot of room to experiment and change things up. I think the the use of like the gong, I think in some some instances about every time that they show the title of these episodes, I think mm-hmm. was just really unifying I think throughout all of them and also just really ominous like you get a real sense of foreboding I guess throughout these all these shorts especially because we know the um the twists and turns that these characters take I mean honestly like less so with Dooku which was really helpful in this series actually to like fill in some of those holes that I thought I knew about Dooku but maybe I didn't exactly but with Ahsoka I do think there's always going to be a sense of foreboding especially when uh, you deal with her time as a Jedi and her relationship with Anakin and you know the sense of foreboding kind of follows around Anakin anyway so <laughs> that that kind of extends to Ahsoka as well but um, I think the music really played into that too but I think so much of that actually comes from breaking format and breaking our understanding and familiarity with uh, how we're used to seeing these characters. Yeah, I totally agree. I think before we keep going, I want to read some quotes from that panel from Dave that kind of, I think, set the stage for the series as a whole and kind of things to be keeping in mind as we go through our own discussion and kind of thoughts and reactions on it. Um, Mm -hmm. So in the beginning of the panel, he says, uh, I wanted to explore some characters and really to set some things down on them from things I've thought of over the years. So it sounds like he's kind of had these different little story beats, some of them, all of them, you know, in some form or fashion in his head over the years. And uh, he goes on to talk about how he thinks he never felt like those could be full episodes or should be full episodes, but uh, to do them as shorts, he thought was something that could be meaningful. He also talked about in that panel that after seeing just how incredible the Bad Batch looked, he was like, I want to now do some more Clone Wars stories with, um, or like, you know, take some of these shorts and like really go um, make it look as incredible as the Bad Batch did. And they talked a lot about atmosphere when he was talking about um, like how good the Bad Batch looked in the animation did in that series. Um, They talked a lot about like the environments and aesthetics and stuff like that of that show. And yeah, they uh, definitely did that (laughs) in Tales of the (laughs) Jedi. I think some of the landscapes and environments looked absolutely phenomenal. And the lighting, the lighting. Oh my my gosh. Joel Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like really doing some things. <laughs> yeah. It's um, so good. 
So I I think that was the big piece of like, oh, okay, now would be great to, you know, tell these stories. And he talked about like, I think Carrie Beck actually finding the money for them to do this project too. Of course, there's the logistics of it. So anyway, a lot of things sliding into place for this series to take place now and for it to be about Ahsoka and Dooku specifically. I think, of course, we all know that Dave likes to write Ahsoka, obviously, um, but to parallel compare her to Dooku in this format I think was such a fun and interesting choice what he says uh, is the two characters really show you two paths and two choices and there are three stories each that kind of unfold how Ahsoka and Dooku's lives unfold and ultimately what their ends are having both been trained by the Jedi Order but having dramatically different dramatically different outcomes as characters and then he says this about Dooku he says he was one of them the Jedi and you could argue that many of the things he decides to do were for the right reasons and that's the massive trap that Sidious has set for everyone one and how he sucks you into his this side of things and then I think one of the great things he said at the end when he was talking about Ahsoka but I think talking kind of more fully about the series is he says there were some some key things to know about her Ahsoka so I told three tales that span a long portion of her life George used to call these types of stories tome poems, experimenting with very minimal dialogue and expression, just trying to use visuals to communicate with the imagery and story points. And I think that that kind of goes right along with what we were talking about with the music uh, and even like thinking about the aesthetic and the environments of these episodes. And that's something we've talked a lot about with George Lucas and the prequels in general, and even with the original trilogy too, is this importance of visual language and also the sound design and the orchestral score of really playing a role in telling you the story that you could follow this story even without the dialogue in certain instances and then even in the last jedi to have ryan johnson like put the full movie up with just the score i think really speaks to kind of this whole idea of um really letting the visual language speak for the story that's being told I think it's really interesting that Dave used the term tone poem to describe what George was really interested in and things like that. And I think that if we think about Tales of the Jedi, like three per character tone poems, it really makes me think of The Phantom Menace and those tone poems that came out in um, sort of like up to the, like as the marketing for uh, The Phantom Menace, we're talking they're called like one destiny, one love, one truth, one dream. And mm -hmm. the things that if you haven't explored the Phantom Menace tone poems, please do, because sometimes I feel like they give a much better dimension to the storytelling in the Phantom Menace than I don't know. It just kind of brought it to the next level for me when I found them and they were TV ads. But I like the concept of, OK, so these are fan favorite things, right? These Phantom Menace tone poems. What if I made an animated tone poem for Ahsoka and Dooku and zeroed in on their character. And I feel like that really does, like what, what you're saying, go back to the spirit of George Lucas. It's just super cool. Very into it. And I like thinking about that in this box, I guess. 
Yeah, I do too. Kind of to wrap up some of the things that Dave said in the panel, these were just quotes that I pulled that felt like something we could have said on Sky Talkers. <laughs> 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 talking, it was like right before they showed the first episodes. Um, and I think Amy Ratcliffe asked him, I think the question was something along the lines of what kind of stories are you known for? And he said, I don't know what kind of stories I'm known for. I hope they're happy. They get happy in the end. Not Nothing's going to be happy if you didn't overcome something along the way, possibly tragic, which of course we say Star Wars is tragedy here. And uh, <laughs> but I think that even that phrasing talks about, you know, it's not just sorrow. You have to overcome things to get to the happy ending, even if there is some tragedy along the way. And then he also says uh, in talking about one of the Dooku stories, he said one of them with Dooku dot dot dot. I was like, wow, where does this go? This is surprisingly tragic. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> sorry, it's so funny. <laughs> before he showed the first episode, uh, he goes, he was like, I hope you like it. He goes, if you don't like it, I'll just put it on my shelf, which we have been known in the past to say, you know, putting stories on a shelf once they're complete and things like that. So anyway, I, <laughs> it felt, it felt like some Sky Talkers isms were kind of throughout that panel. And so this is just another like five and a half year long plea for Dave Filoni to come on Sky Talkers. <laughs> Here we are again in 2022 begging at this point. <laughs> no shame. Here are all the similarities. No shame. No shame. Uh, and, and even I feel like we should have talked about this uh, in the last part too about like the environments and the music and everything like this. Dave talked a little bit about uh, the influence of Miyazaki on him and his storytelling. I think we really see this in the first episode with Ahsoka. Uh, and her mother and that whole uh, journey that they go on together. I think that one is probably the clearest Miyazaki influence, I think. And he says that uh, the influence of Miyazaki uh, influenced a lot of the pacing of his stories too, and particularly with Tales of the Jedi, making it a little slower and about how those stories were so rich and detailed. And that's something he wanted to bring into Tales of the Jedi. He also references that they studied uh, Miyazaki and Pseudo Ghibli on Airbender too, which it's not very often that we actually get to hear Dave talk about his time on Airbender. And Mm -hmm. I would like to. I've actually searched a lot for any (laughs) interviews he did during that time and... (laughs) could not find you have and I feel like you frequently do that actually I do I was I didn't watch uh, Avatar The Last Airbender until uh 2020 that's when I watched it all the way through and yeah that first season especially the end of the first season I was like whoa whoa." uh I think those were the first (laughs) ones that Dave directed in that series and shortly after is when he signed on when he ended up leaving and working for the Clone Wars for the Clone Wars and for Lucasfilm so anyway I Always wish there was more interviews about that. So it's nice to hear him reference it here. Definitely. Yeah, I think that Dave, honestly, as he kind of flexes his muscle as writer-director, definitely has leaned more on the slower pacing and the slower way to tell a story that I think sometimes might not jive with like a general audience in the same way that it doesn't all like always land like the studio uh, Ghibli stuff doesn't necessarily land with a wider audience or wider American audience I mean and I think it's interesting to see him like lean on that and I really appreciate it I think especially in this first episode I think the themes and the things that were being explored in a slow way in a in almost like a violent way too I think were really bold and I I welcome it I guess I think that it's it's kind of I like when Star Wars slows down mm-hmm. and 
has us explore a character at one instance and things like that. I think sometimes um, when I look back at the entire Clone Wars, I'm like, well, we were moving like very fast through a lot of things. <laughs> and as much, and I would like really, some of the things I would love have, I would have loved for us to have a slower pace with. And I think I, I'm guessing Dave might actually feel the same because that's sort of where he is moving in his storytelling uh, cadence, I guess. Yeah, and I think when we think about the pieces, the moments in Star Wars overall, the things that I think, well, I'll speak for myself, the things that stay with me a lot are those moments that are just kind of so slow and feel very contemplative and these like very quiet moments in these series and in these films and stuff thinking about Ahsoka and Ahsoka leaves the emotion of that episode the final episode of season five is just that long drawn out goodbye between Anakin and Ahsoka it's not fast paced it's not action heavy it's just the two of them having mm-hmm. to deal with everything that's transpired between them. And even like in Revenge of the Sith, like Padme's ruminations, we're whew, so excited to talk about that. <laughs> um, but that scene and the emotion that is, you know, throughout that scene, of course, like Anakin and Obi-Wan's fight, it's, yes, there's that action piece of it, but the end with the higher ground and everything that Obi-Wan is saying to Anakin, those are the moments I think that really kind of, stay with us and so to have like a whole series that's just kind of dedicated to slowing down I think is I think is really cool and I think speaks to the choice to have this series be about Ahsoka and Dooku rather than brand new characters or even like a very very side minor character one that we haven't really explored at all you know what I mean because I think I think some people might wonder why we're doing this about Ahsoka and Dooku, right? We already know a lot about them. They've already had other kind of stories written about them. Like, right, uh, we've seen Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. She's getting her own show. She's been in Rebels. Dooku, you know, he's got not as much as Ahsoka does, but he's still got a a good bit of um, lore about him out there. So this choice to make it about these two characters rather than anyone else in this time period, I think is a really interesting one. And I think... For me, I think it's cool that we can just kind of come back to these vignettes of characters that we know and just keep adding to them, right? Like, I love getting new characters and being introduced to new stories, but there's something to be said, I think, for characters that have longevity in the Star Wars franchise and then to be able to come back and just kind of add new shades to them and new understanding. And I think that's one of the great things about Star Wars that we're able to you know, do both, right? We look at a show like Andor that's airing at the same time that, yes, obviously we know Cassian, but there's so many new characters that we're being introduced to and getting to learn about who they are and and how they function within the galaxy. And then at the same time, we can come back to two um, very long-standing Star Wars characters and discover new things about their stories. I feel like we have a very good idea of who Ahsoka is, even in this time period. But just to add kind of more more nuance to her story and kind of the choices that she makes later on. I feel like Dooku, we get a lot more information about him compared to Ahsoka, but that's just because we already have a lot of stories with Ahsoka compared to Dooku. So anyway, I feel like I've kind of lost my train of thought here, but I'm, I'm happy with the decision to make Tales of the Jedi about two specific Jedi um, rather than like brand new characters. 
I am wondering if we're in this section right now, our part one of our overview and basically our review. Did this series make you think about the comparisons between those two characters? And had you ever thought about the comparisons between those two characters before? Yeah, I definitely think it made me think about the comparison between them. I don't think I don't think I would have expected Dooku to be the counterplay to Ahsoka, but it makes total sense, which is I think kind of funny, especially for us, considering that we talk about Dooku a lot actually after Dooku Jedi Lost and the Lost Jedi in general. You guys know that's something <laughs> I like to think a lot about. <laughs> the Lost um, Twenty. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love those. Yeah, the Lost <laughs> Twenty. And um side note, I didn't see the Lost Twenty busts when we went into the archives in um, episode, what was that, <laughs> episode four. So that was a note I made, just so you all know, always on the lookout. <laughs> and But that's so interesting, though, because we would have conversations where I'd be like, Dooku has a bust, does Ahsoka get a bust? And here we're comparing the two of them on kind of the biggest scale possible and the ways that the Jedi failed them and the ways that their choices took them on different paths, even though they were both coming to similar conclusions, right, about the Jedi and about um, not being able to stay in that organization anymore. They both came to the same conclusion, but ultimately led them on different, very different paths. And that is fascinating. And I think I can't imagine having a piece like this and having different characters, um, I guess, really like a different character to compare to Ahsoka. I'm really glad with the choice. I am too. And I do think that this is one of those things that, especially the way that it is organized in terms of chronology, I found myself in the moment when I was watching through this, and I'm not going to word this well, um, I was sort of like left brain Ahsoka, right brain Dooku. And this is like, I'm separating them <laughs> in terms of story. And then the more you think about it, I think the more you go about your day after watching it and things like that, you think about all the comparisons between them and why putting them side by side in this six episode anthology makes a lot of sense. I think it's a bold move first off, because I think that you get the fan favorite Ahsoka Tano in here and people are pro people are probably going to only watch the Ahsoka episodes. Like I feel like there's going to be some people who only watch the Ahsoka episodes. And I, I think that it's a miss because I think that the Dooku episodes actually brighten, I guess, a lot of the conflict that Ahsoka does deal with throughout the Clone Wars, I guess. I found myself thinking about their comparisons more and more, not just in the moment when I was watching, but afterwards is kind of my point. <laughs> well, I think especially in watching the Dooku episodes, I think the Dooku episodes are more narrative and then the yes. Ahsoka episodes are more vignette, I would say, yes. and like snapshots of her life, uh, especially with episode five that literally moves through a good chunk of time in a very snapshotty way. <laughs> right. I think that this this anthology does assume that you know what happens to Ahsoka and yeah. that you can use that knowledge to balance out what you are finding out about Dooku in this series. Yeah. Yeah. And to speak on the the order of it, the chronology of it going in order, I think it was smart because we are seeing the whole story of the prequel ulti prequels ultimately is the downfall of the Jedi. And so to see two Jedi that have kind of, I guess I would say, everything going for them 
And to Jedi, Dave also talked about this in the panel that he something he's very interested in is the story of masters and apprentices and masters and Padawans and the way that lessons and character traits are passed from one to the other. And so, again, this also makes sense to have it be Ahsoka and Dooku because they are part of the same Jedi family tree, if you will. And the like watching this series and thinking about the ways that Dooku is similar not only to Ahsoka, but also to Anakin, honestly. And um and, you know, thinking about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon in there as well. Dooku is also trained by Yoda. You know, there's a lot that goes into kind of all of these characters in this in this Jedi family tree and the fact that two of them, well, three of them, <laughs> fell out of the Jedi. And it's just, I think it it was a good decision to do it chronologically. I will say, I think that the, the first episode does stand out. It is kind of the odd man out, I would say, because everything else were kind of squarely in the time of the Jedi and physically like with a Jedi in the Jedi Order or in the temple a lot of the times too. So this first episode with Ahsoka and her mother, I think, like I said, is kind of the odd man out. But I think once we hear Dave talk about, we'll get into this in the next part, but talk about kind of the origin story of that episode, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, But I do think that one kind of stands out from the rest of the other five episodes. But I think um, particularly the transition between episodes four and five is, I think, where you really feel the benefit of this decision to go in timeline order rather than by character. Because episode four, right, is where Dooku has his um, duel with Yaddle and I think kind of formally leaves the Jedi Order. But no one knows what has happened right no one knows that he is now working with Sidious that he he is responsible for Yaddle's death no one knows any of that and that there is this great darkness and that Dooku knows who it is and then we get to episode five and things are just continuing on as normal Ahsoka's just being trained in the normal way that the Jedi train their Padawans and Anakin points out that this isn't even a good training and they go off and do their own thing but the Jedi Order is still functioning like they always have. And as Yaddle talks about, the the council likes to proceed with caution. And that's ultimately what costs them. So I think to go from episode four, which was just on the edge of your seat, hold your breath, it's so intense, to then, you know, back to normal in episode five with the Jedi Order. I think that for me, that really kind of hammered home why this was the right choice to go in chronological order when we're thinking big picture about what happens throughout the prequel trilogy. It's interesting because I agree with you that I think that Life and Death episode one does feel like the odd man out in terms of the way that this all feels, but I do think that it that's on purpose mm-hmm. and it serves the story in the way because we start with Ahsoka's beginning when she's born, her first hunt, and she's a, a baby, right? And it ends with um, Gontika saying that Jedi, Ahsoka is Jedi. Mm. Um, we're getting there. I don't want to get too far ahead, but I do feel like we're witnessing like the purity of what it means to be a Jedi mm. and how that is explored clearly in that first episode. And then we see a sort of devolvement of it throughout the yeah. entire series. I say that that episode has a purity of what a Jedi is, but there is a level of violence to it that I think that needs to be faced, right? And I think that's p- part of the theme of the entire episode. But then there's like a, a sort of a, 
a vibe shift, I guess, <laughs> to the the Dooku the Dooku episodes and then the later Ahsoka episodes where we're in we're in a war. Things are not good. There things are shady. Things are gray, right? Yeah. And I I feel like it was in complete stark opposite to that first episode, and that is purposeful. And I think that our us identifying that it feels like the quote unquote odd man odd man out. It like serves the the form and the like to the function. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, kind of that. Uh, there's kind of a idealism in that first episode. In like I said, I think you feel that Miyazaki influenced the most in the first episode of you know going through nature. It's balanced, life and death. Don't be scared. Look it in the face. Like everything that we're gonna go through, and we end with this. I don't know the village being happy that Ahsoka is a Jedi or has the Force, I guess I should say, and was able to use it more or less. Or I think that's what they assume. Then we move to the next three episodes. Like we leave Baby Ahsoka and we go straight into three episodes all about Dooku, and it's all about the corruption of the Jedi. This thing that was kind of so full of hope at the end of Episode One is actually lost its way remarkably by the time Ahsoka for a while, but especially you know by the time Ahsoka is in the Jedi. It's also very clear that that first episode, and I, I Dave talked about this, that he wanted it. He, When he first thought about that first episode, Life and Death, that he was maybe going to explore Plo Koon picking up Ahsoka and bringing her to the Jedi Temple. But going back even, even further, I think that it sort of thematically gets away from that, the dogma of the like corruption within the council, I guess, that Dooku is fully p- pointing out. There's no um, physical Jedi present. It's just a leader of this community who says that Ahsoka is a Jedi, right? Or yeah. is Jedi. Um, it's not someone who is blinded by the dark side, is not is embracing fear in a lot of ways, right? The, in the way that we think about the Jedi during the Clone Wars. It's instead, I don't know, I keep going back to the word pure, but it, it, it does feel way more pure. Mm-hmm. Okay, I feel like we're already, as per usual, getting ahead of ourselves and already starting about episode one. So why don't we skip into part two now? Let's do it. Okay, so welcome to part two, where we're talking about episodes one through three of Tales of the Jedi. So let's start off with episode one, Life and Death. This was directed by Nathaniel Villanueva and written by Dave Filoni. We've talked a little bit about it in our last part, but (laughs) let's talk about the title. Caitlin, what do you think of the title? This title was really great. I thought of a number one, if you've been listening to our Andor discussions, we have commented on the fact that the Andor episode titles don't feel as, I guess I would say, like juicy as some of our other uh, live action series have. Uh, But here in Tales of the Jedi, I think um, a lot of the titles are worth diving into. So I think we'll probably be discussing each of the titles of these episodes as we go through Tales of the Jedi. Uh, But Life and Death, again, kind of a perfect title to start off this whole series with considering what happens to Dooku and Ahsoka slash the entire galaxy. And this is the theme of the episode, right? Of her and her mother going out for a hunt. They have to kill an animal in order to provide for their community. And we see, I wish I had written it down, but there's this saying that we see Gontika and also Pavti say when uh, throughout the episode, they basically put their hand on their forehead, their uh, mouth, and then I think also their heart. And they have like three words that they say. And I remember watching it thinking they were saying basically like, 
the like the brain or like the head uh breath and then like hearts it, that's kind of mm-hmm. the vibe that I got from it it wasn't um in the subtitles or translated or anything like that but that was and I think that's purposeful but I think that was the vibe I got from it and kind of this honor and balance in having to take from nature in order to provide for life and I think that was a really great uh way to, to show like where Ahsoka's come from and the culture that she was born into and everything like that. But I will say the title made me think of the end of her story and Clone Wars, that last episode in season seven is called Victory in Death. And I think that's I think that's specific. Like I think we're supposed to think of that last episode in Clone Wars. We have life and death, which is where we start Ahsoka's story and victory and death. And I would say that victory and life are not synonymous and I don't think they're supposed to be. I don't think that's, I don't think that's what Dave would have intended with kind of paralleling these two titles. And I think that's important to note um, this comparison between life and death and then later on victory and death, because what was the victory at the end of the Clone Wars in season five? There wasn't. Yeah, I think the victory was on an individual level of Ahsoka surviving mm-hmm. and Rex surviving too. Yeah, um, but not necessarily for our like good guys. But is that victory. life, right? N- no, yeah. I mean, and I think that's what's sort of depressing about the end of the Clone Wars is that final shot of all of the the graves of the clones that Ahsoka and Rex buried. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily feel like a victory. Even that last shot with Vader doesn't feel like a victory either, but it certainly does feel like death. <laughs> so I, um, I, I don't know. I think that that, that is, it's, it's a title that I think that we have been unpacking for two years at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that when you compare it to this beginning, I do think that this, I don't know, it's like I, was, I said, the last part, there's a, like a beautiful beginning here. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think that this episode really shows like super well how important it is to preserve tradition and rituals because I think that the Ahsoka's father, I guess, was like, I can't believe you're taken to Pavti. I can't believe you're taking her to like, do we really have to do that? This is an old tradition, you know? Yeah. You know, I think that uh, Pavti decides that, you know, it, it's a worthy tradition. And I think that by the end of it, we agree that that is a probably a defining moment into understanding who Ahsoka is going to be. And the community realizes that too. And therefore, like, I think that we can assume that when Plo Koon arrives to take Ahsoka to the Jedi Temple and all of the emotions that come with that, that the community probably is expecting that. They're expecting something to happen to the special girl. You had mentioned Plo Koon and for when he finally comes to... uh get Ahsoka. And I think this is good. You referenced this too in the last part about how this episode was actually originally supposed to be about when Ahsoka or when Plo Koon came and got Ahsoka to take her to the Jedi Order. I think Dave before has talked about it as Plo Koon finding Ahsoka. And if you follow the Clone Wars, you probably know the concept art that we're thinking of. There's this adorable concept art of it's the cutest ever of like little baby Ahsoka (laughs) and Plo Koon uh, and he's like bending down and like Ahsoka's reaching for him I think something like that and Dave has had that concept art for a really long time Plo Koon is of course his favorite Jedi too um so I think that was kind of where he initially saw this first story. And again, thinking about this episode being the odd man out, to have had this story be Plo Koon finding Ahsoka, I think that would have 
that would have also fit really well thinking about the Jedi and kind of the start of her Jedi story, right? But he said this in the panel at Celebration about eventually the choice to change it from Plo Koon, from a story about Ahsoka and Plo Koon to a story about Ahsoka and her mother. He said, moms are so important, and I just felt it was more important because we had not had a lot of that identity in Star Wars, the mother figure. And to show that Ahsoka's first experience of someone telling her don't be afraid is her mother. And so one thing I'll tell you is when the little girl faces the giant creature, is she using the force because no one's taught her how to, or is she just not afraid? But how is that not the same thing? And that's all I'm asking you. And I, number one, I just love Dave Filoni talking about Star Wars. It's so good. It's like, damn. (laughs) And I think that, like, I remember him ending on that question of, does, is it the, is the little girl using the force or is she just not afraid? And how is that not the same thing? That's all I'm asking you. <laughs> but And I, I'm so glad that there was this choice to make it about her and her mother because it really feels like that don't be afraid is something that Ahsoka does carry with her. And I think we can bring that now into Ahsoka's characterization. And I love that idea that there is still this piece of home of her of her family that is still carried with her as she goes throughout the rest of her life and experiences so much hardship. Also, I have to say here, I texted Charlotte this the other day. I said, where is Ahsoka's family during Order 66? And what do they assume that Ahsoka was killed in Order 66? Or do they believe that she was actually a traitor to the Republic as, you know, Palpatine kind of tells the galaxy? Anyway, to make it more tragic, <laughs> it hurts so much. It's too much, Caitlin. I know. You texted me that and I was, I think I put my phone down and I was like staring into this, like to the ceiling. I was like, that's just not okay. <laughs> yeah. Because you get this sense that they really feel, because it's true, their daughter is very special, but she gets a label at the end of this mm-hmm. that she's. Jedi, Ahsoka is Jedi. And it's from the the like town grandmother, I guess, who is, you know, sort of the elder who is widely respected, I assume. Right. So I think that you get the sense of confidence at the end of it that, yeah, that is Ahsoka. She is someone who has no fear and she can face death and she does not fear it. And she is a Jedi. And it's interesting also in in the like wider conversation about Ahsoka as a character, especially like later in her life when in Rebels she says, I'm no Jedi. And that was such a powerful moment because she walks away from the Jedi. We know this in Clone Wars and she spends years not adhering to that label. But I do think that Ahsoka to her core is probably the one of the purest Jedi and like embodies the the tenets of what make a good Jedi so much better than any other Jedi in the Clone Wars. And I think that's kind of part of her, her character. Right. And, uh, I think that if we want to move beyond like our thoughts about the Jedi during the Clone Wars and how that the reason why she walked away because she wasn't believed because there was corruption within, because they were blinded by the dark side, all of these reasons. I do think that Ahsoka at the end of the day, like she is, I would say embodies all of the good of the light in the Jedi. And I think that's why she later goes by the name Ashla when she is in hiding 
in hiding and on the run. And that is the, you know, there's the two sides of the force, the Ashla and the Bogan, Bogan being the dark side, Ashla being the light. And I think that Ahsoka embodies that. And I think we're supposed to think about that constantly, especially as someone, as we know, who does actually completely face death in Rebels with the world between worlds, with that fight with Vader. She is more Jedi than so many of our other characters. Um, And it also makes her pretty different too, because she's had this experience of like, of living with the corruption within the Republic, the Jedi, and being wronged by it, but then understanding like what what makes it good and still like I think we see that later in the one of the last episodes of still adhering to what she was taught, but making it more individual, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that we can we we can and do talk about often about like the ah- Ahsoka's characterization and things like that. But I do feel like in this episode it's very clear that Ahsoka having this label is a really is a good thing, right? It's a it's it's really good that she has no fear. Again, going back to that quote about when the little girl faces the giant creature, is she using the force because no one's taught her how, or is she just not afraid? How is that not the same thing? That's all I'm asking you. Um, I think that when I say that Ahsoka later embodies the the virtues of the light and the Jedi in an individual level, I think that she's probably going back to this, like this origin of what she was like when she was a baby on this hunt with her mother. Yeah, and I think there's so much hope in the end of that episode of, like what you were saying, this expectation that she is special, different, is now going to go and be a Jedi, and how it feels like the community is pro-Jedi. You know, I think so much of a lot of the conversation with the Jedi in this period is about the corruption that is in them, the fact that they do, like, take children <laughs> and, right, They we know that they have whole lists of children that are Force-sensitive and, and things like that and how there's obviously a lot of trauma <laughs> in that. But being able to see these moments before all of that happens, this, like, quiet lesson, this quiet moment, this quiet life with her family, um, I think is so important. And uh, like Dave said, we don't have a lot of stories about mothers in Star Wars, but I would say our most famous mothers, right, are Leia and Kylo. And then we have Shmi and Anakin. And what is Shmi? Padme. And Padme too, but we don't get to see her be a mother. Um, Okay. There. <laughs> I would say we, I guess we don't really get to see Leia be a mother that much either. Um, but I guess really what I'm thinking of here is when this relationship between Shmi and Anakin and when he leaves to be a Jedi and she tells him, don't look back. To me, that feels like what Pavti tells Ahsoka mm-hmm. in this story of um, you must face death, Ahsoka. Do not fear it. That that last part of do not fear it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty similar to be brave and don't look back. Yeah. It is. And I think it's a good comparison to make because we often talk about the things that Anakin teaches Ahsoka, like you were saying earlier, Charlotte, about how she is kind of the one of the best embodiments of what it actually is to be a Jedi. And a lot of that she she learns directly from Anakin because Anakin has a lot of that in himself too. But then some of that too is from his own mother, from Shmi, I think. And so to to have both of them have had relationships that we've seen with their mothers 
um, on screen for more than a second, I think is is really powerful because, you know, Star Wars is known for its father-son relationships. So to have even a little bit more, especially of a mother-daughter relationship, I think is, is really cool. And to your point about Padme, we do get a lot more of that feeling of Padme right from Kenobi. So I don't mean to leave her out of the oh I know I'm, just, I'm kind of twisting your arm there <laughs> as, as Padme's like greatest defender so. like wait a second wait a second <laughs> and okay but then also you know in the conversation of mothers we do have Padme's funeral later at the end of this series yeah so. and and am I ready to talk about that no no maybe in an hour we'll yeah <laughs> yeah but the line from poverty of you must face death Ahsoka and she does she she does time and time again because of victory and death to your point earlier about how the victory is her survival but at what cost kind of vibe uh, I would say that this you must face death do not fear it that lesson is maybe what ultimately pushes her to keep going to have that resolve that we see from episode six which is also entitled resolve because she has all the training she has the force. And in that episode, we see her say no to fighting anymore. She's turning away um, from, I guess, like a greater calling in that episode. Um, but then by the end of it, she's ready to face death, to face her fears, to keep going forward. So. <sighs> so good. <laughs> so good. I wanted to say before we move on to the next episode that the amount of cute creatures in this episode was great I even think the the like mean creature was kind of cute I liked it and just like cool honestly but the panda bear you wrote in this cats I thought they were dogs because they straight up barked but yeah. the the little guys <laughs> they were so cute the panda bear creatures I don't know there was actually like a lot of dog type creatures in this series I feel yeah. like we have leaned really hard on the cats that's why I thought that they were dogs yeah. because we have the loth cats and tukas you know the gambit right and I felt like we had in the next episode actually there's a dog and then there's like these little these little dog panda bear thingies and yeah I don't know I loved it I love when Star Wars it feels so Star Wars to me when there's like these cute kind of weird little creatures always around <laughs> yeah it felt it felt like a lot of visions too like visions had cute creatures yes. in it too but then also one thing I loved in these in this episode and the next episode too that I noticed the most were these droids that were kind of helping with like traditional tasks like putting shingles on a house I don't know in like with natural materials and stuff, seeing this intersection of, I guess I would like technology of a droid with something very uh, traditional and something we just kind of associate with like normal people without droids building a house <laughs> and putting shingles on a roof. And I, it reminded me of uh, the Ronin episode in Visions and our R2 unit with the straw hat and how, <laughs> I don't know, for me, that's such like a contrast. And I mm -hmm. felt that with um, this episode and then in the next episode, this like very medieval kind of looking town that had the droids outside of it. And two ton, oh my gosh, two ton. Uh <laughs> 
It really goes to my theory that Dave was really inspired by visions. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Uh, I think everyone was inspired by visions. How could you not be? It's incredible. Totally get. Yeah. (laughs) And also, the last thing I think I'll comment on this episode: the music. Just to point it out, very much elements of Ahsoka leaves throughout throughout all of Ahsoka's episodes. But in this episode, um, I think it's especially poignant because she eventually leaves this family too when she goes to the Jedi Order. Okay, let's start talking about episode two, Justice, directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Dave Filoni. Okay, so we've already talked about the shift of the timelines and everything, so we won't spend too much time on it. But you really, it's amazing how much you go from straight up colorful, new life, exciting beginning of Ahsoka to dark gray palettes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) depressing vibes from Dooku and young Qui-Gon. How was it seeing Dooku? How was it seeing young Qui-Gon? This cried. I don't know why, Uh, but I cried in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, yeah, I think the visual contrast is incredible to go from this like lush, beautiful uh, community and planet that Ahsoka is on to this, you know, town that is fully falling apart. And this episode really feel like it feels like we are even though I said Dooku's stories were more narrative in nature, they are also vignettes. It's an anthology. I think all of these are vignettes about these two characters. But I think with Dooku tracking his his feelings about the corruption that has overtaken the Jedi uh, is really what we're kind of following throughout his three episodes. And to start it off here, when he has young Qui-Gon, which was incredible. I don't know if we mentioned this in the first part, but young Qui-Gon was played by Liam Neeson's son who voiced him. So I think that was really, is really special and cool. I just love that Liam Neeson is always like, yes, I will be Qui-Gon. <laughs> kind yeah. of, no matter what. <laughs> totally. I, also, why did they make Qui-Gon like so cute? He's very cute. He's such a little like cutie in this episode. <laughs> I can't get over it. <laughs> we see that there's this theme in the rest of, in all of Dooku's stories and tales of the Jedi, of people referencing that who the Jedi actually serve is the Senate. And Dooku is kind of pushing against that, or I think realizing that fully. And this is one of those instances where uh, there's the kidnapped senator that the Senate has sent him and Qui-Gon to rescue. But by the end of it, Dooku is on the side of the villagers. And even the son that was kidnapped is on the side of the villagers. And we get, I would say, like a a pseudo happy ending at the end of this episode with um, the son committing to make things better for the village. And we see them, you know, like actively starting to clean it up and things like that. But, you know, the very next episode is that it's all happening again. Right. And I, you can kind of see this cycle of every time Dooku is going on this mission, it becomes clear that it's actually the Senate's fault of everything that is happening um, or that they are the root of the problem that is ongoing. And I think that this episode is kind of the first in that narrative and that motif of what ultimately leads Dooku to make the choices that he does. And ironic because the next episode is entitled Choices. But this episode entitled Justice, right? Like what is the justice that is happening? What do you think of this title? I think it's really good. And I think that you could also trace... And you were kind of hinting at this. This title's Justice, the next title's Choices, and then the next one is The Sith Lord. Um, There's a clear decline slash elevation of how 
things are moving for Dooku. We get a snapshot of how Dooku is, I think I could describe Dooku as like a self-starter, someone who has like a sense of individualism. And I think Qui-Gon also has that sense too. And we see that in The Phantom Menace. And again, with Dave wanting and really always being interested in seeing what traits are passed down from master to apprentice. I think that's a very clear one. And I think in this episode, we see Dooku recognize that justice is just not being performed in this small village town. I really liked the look and feel of this town, by the way. It felt very um, medieval European, and you could really get the sense that things were, they were down bad. And I, I just thought it was a type of look and feel that we hadn't ever seen in Star Wars before. I thought it was a really good exploration. But I think that it's very clear that in this episode, Dooku tries to take matters into his own hands. And Qui-Gon is there to support him and kind of change his path so he doesn't go straight into the dark side and thinks on instinct, which he says later, he was thinking in the moment, um, which is something that Qui-Gon actually says to Anakin later in the Phantom Menace, but I really liked the line of Dooku saying corruption like yours must be eradicated because I think that was really the shift for him to realize that like, okay, so if justice isn't being served by the government that apparently the Jedi answers to, then I'm going to be the one to to enact it. I'm going to be the one to find justice because there's no possible, I can't see an out here and I'm going to be, I'm so frustrated that I'm within this system that doesn't allow justice to be performed. And it feels very, for lack of a better term, performative for me to even be here. So I think that the title, um, again, justice choices than the Sith Lord, there's a clear like decline. Justice, he's serving his own justice, but that's like two individual choices. He's making the wrong choice and therefore he is actually, he he isn't rewarded. Like he chooses, okay, in the next episode, Dooku chooses a certain path and then he is not rewarded for that path, even though it probably was like, the only way to get answers and to serve justice, I suppose, for the the fallen Jedi as well. And then he, since he doesn't follow the rules in the next episode, he is not rewarded with the council spot, which frustrates him. And I also think that the next episode could potentially even be called rules because it feels like there's a sense of um, between Dooku and Mace, such a clear divide between them. And you, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but I do think that it's clear that Dooku, it, the choices are presented to him. He goes to the the darker path every time, and it leads him straight into the episode called The Sith Lord. And just like the title of The Phantom Menace, it's sort of a question mark of who who does that refer to? Mm-hmm. I would say that I wouldn't say Dooku always goes to the darker path. I think his action, yeah, like literally his actions are dark when he's like, you know, force choking the senator in this episode, Justice. But I would say that for most of these three episodes we're on Dooku's side with yeah, absolutely. what he's doing. Yeah. Yes. yes. I I agree. I think that like he's in opposition to the Jedi way though. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think what's great about these episodes is in this episode particularly we can see and have seen in certain Clone Wars episodes Anakin making a similar choice to what Dooku is doing here of one letting his emotions overtake him and acting out in anger too right Dooku's definitely acting from a place of anger in this episode by the time we get to the end which by the way gonna talk about the music in every episode here but uh the music shift when Dooku does say corruption like yours must be eradicated and starts force choking the senator 
it's intense. So good. This is really good. So good. I said in my notes, the music shift here. Damn. <laughs> we see him. I can very much put Anakin into this situation and see him acting in exactly the same way and making yes. the same choice that Dooku would make here. So then to see Qui-Gon on the other side of Dooku be the one to figure a way out of the situation that helps everyone that is like the best case scenario here and also to be the one to kind of calm Dooku down uh, to get him to stop his you know what he's doing to the senator uh, even if it is a corrupt senator I think one I think we've seen Ahsoka in a similar role with Anakin before but thinking about what that means for the type of master Qui-Gon would have been to Anakin I think is a really interesting thing to think about. Uh, and we've talked a lot ab about, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan, their relationship as father figure, brother figure, the fact that Obi-Wan didn't want Anakin as a Padawan, didn't even think they should be bringing him back to the Jedi Temple originally, but it was Qui-Gon who pushed for that and all of that. And it, it really makes me, this episode, I think, gives us a good glimpse of the kind of master Qui-Gon could have been to Anakin in the future because, I, you know, that theme that Dave talked about of the things that are passed from master to apprentice, the ways that there are similarities and differences between within like a, a Jedi family tree. I think we're seeing these similarities between Dooku and Anakin and Qui-Gon in the middle of them, I think would have functioned in a very similar way for both of them. Yeah, I think the old adage is that if Qui-Gon was Anakin's master, perhaps Anakin would not have turned to the dark side. Mm -hmm. And I I, in a lot of ways, I find that conversation really compelling because I, I I agree with it generally, but I also think it's a little unfair to the circumstances that surrounded Anakin's own downfall and perhaps unfair to Obi-Wan too. But I do think it is probably correct. <laughs> and of yeah. course, the sad thing is we're never going to know. And there's so many comparisons between Dooku and Anakin here, especially in the next episode when he doesn't get that council seat. You see that jealousy kind of rear its ugly head and then how that is manipulated by Sidious or how we can assume that is manipulated by Sidious. And even there's some parallel lines from Sidious to Dooku that happen with Anakin as well. One thing I think is really interesting though about Qui-Gon as an apprentice is that I did not feel any sorts of, sort of judgment from mm -hmm. the apprentice to the master in this moment. I think it, it was... Qui-Gon, he's just like, yeah, I was just acting in the moment. But he wasn't like, yeah, I was trying to like balance out your darkness with my light or any, any of the, anything yeah. like that. That was not what he was trying to do. He, there was just there was just a, a sense of, no, this is how we like write the path. And this is what I'm going to do in the moment right now. I think that Qui-Gon sees what Dooku sees. He, he understands Yes. what's going on here like to compare it to the next episode with mace mace would just a hundred percent be like no we're here to save the senator's son these townspeople have done wrong i think that's how mace would have handled the situation how he basically does handle the situation in the next episode these are very similar i would say kind of circumstances qui-gon though understands like when they're in the beginning of the episode when they're meeting with the kidnappers and Qui-Gon, I think is very, a little bit naive in the beginning of that episode of wait, you're the kidnappers and the whole restaurant stands up. Right. And Dooku goes, they all are, which by the way, big Alan Rickman, Severus Snape kind of energy from Dooku. I can't <laughs> not say it. Um, 
But I think once um, they talk to the son, uh, again, with that big droid two-ton, I thought I loved two-ton so much. Really made me think of um, Ned B, honestly, from Kenobi. But Qui-Gon is, and the son, the, the senator's son is like, I can't believe that this is how these people are living, that my father has allowed this, you know? And Qui-Gon is totally, I think, with Dooku on, no, we should be we should be here for the people and like stands up to the Senator with, uh, with Dooku and doesn't really even question it, but he is able Mm -hmm. to see a path forward. Like you said, Charlotte of, uh, not choosing that, that darker action like Dooku does. He finds the, the best, the purest path forward. I would say when we're, when we're thinking about true Jedi qualities, what really makes a Jedi, I think what we see, Qui-Gon's choices in this episode I think that's what we're getting at compared to Dooku but they're both they're both on the quote-unquote right side yeah it's interesting my relationship to Qui-Gon as a character has really evolved in the past couple years where I really do appreciate him as a, a figure I guess who similar to the way that I talked about Ahsoka as being like a true pure Jedi Qui-Gon's tragedy of him dying in The Phantom Menace, I think, really does, I don't know, it really just, like, (sighs) underlines to me how much of a better master I think Qui-Gon would have been or just, like, a good companion to Anakin when he grew up. And therefore, I think he was probably one of the most astute Jedi, I guess, that could have probably seen through all of the mess that the Clone Wars brought, but of course he's not around to see it. And I, I think that or that is, is he? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it's purposeful that he's not. And the yeah. only way, like part of the reason why it's able to happen is because there is like less, there's less people who can see through that because there's less, there's more people who are blinded than there are who are not. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think that in this episode, it was just a really, it really illustrated an interesting dynamic, I guess, between Master and Apprentice that was different than Obi-Wan and Anakin, because I think Obi-Wan would have judged Anakin if if Obi-Wan was in the Qui-Gon's place. I think Obi-Wan would have chastised Anakin for that decision. But instead, um, that's not what we see here. It's just totally different. Well, yeah, and Qui-Gon would have been the master in the Anakin mm-hmm. situation. So I think that dynamic is different. Although to that point, we do see Obi-Wan disagree a lot with what Qui-Gon does in The Phantom yes. Menace. He does follow along because ultimately Obi-Wan is a rule follower, especially in The Phantom Menace. But he does disagree with a lot of the choices that Qui-Gon makes throughout The Phantom Menace. And I think that's kind of the the fun of Qui-Gon Jinn as a character now is that I feel like we'll, he will often be painted in this like very good pure light because I think we like to think about that what if of what if he actually had been Anakin's master and that tragedy is kind of built into the story. So I think we're always kind of prone to look at him in a lot of in like the best case scenario kind of light, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. I think we know we know that he would have known how to handle Anakin or, or would have given Anakin something different that he was mm-hmm. kind of all in or, or and saw the vision of who they all believed Anakin to be when no one else did. Mm-hmm. I also want to say that in this episode, it felt very Clone Wars to me. 
it really did feel like a Clone Wars episode. Like I can see this be stretched across a three episode arc with the with the townspeople and just like even seeing that kidnapping. And in no way was I like I, I like that this this show didn't vi- really vilify the townspeople at all. It really made you mm-hmm. understand why they would do that. And our protagonists also feel that way too. And I just I feel like. It just reminded me of a lot of those Clone Wars episodes, you know, yeah. of illustrating things on a very complicated playing field, I guess. Yeah. There's one episode of Clone Wars that I'm thinking of, and I can only see one moment from it where it's like Anakin and Ahsoka, and Anakin makes some rash decision, and Ahsoka just straight up yells at him and is like, Master, you have to stop. <laughs> like, you have yeah, to. Yeah, I, I remember that too. I, I don't remember when I that know. is. Though. They're like running <laughs> somewhere, and Ahsoka just like skids to a stop and is like, Master, no, I can't. Oh, I'm so mad. I can't remember what it is. But someone, if you're listening to this, please, <laughs> please tell us. If well, you, someone's listening to this and knows and is yelling at us. Yeah, no, so. no. You, yeah, you can be the, uh, the Ahsoka in this listening situation. <laughs> okay, do we want to move on to episode three, Choices? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so episode three was entitled Choices, and it was directed by Charles Murray, co-directed by Saul Ruiz, and it was written by Charles and Elon Murray. And this is the only episode that Dave did not write. And he spoke about this in the panel where he said he said he was like a little worried about getting all of the, I guess, like the scripts done within, you know, by the deadline or whatever. And so he um asked the uh, Charles, the writer Charles Murray to help and also to direct because Charles Murray wrote uh, the Ahsoka Leaves arc at the end of the Clone Wars. And Dave said that at that time during Clone Wars, Charles had wanted to try directing the Clone Wars too, and it just, it didn't end up working out. And Dave knew that this would be a good opportunity for that too. So we do get to see Charles uh, writing and directing in this episode, which I think is really cool. And this is such... A good episode. So many good nuggets in this episode. Also, it's so good. Braxton <laughs> has a planet, like that forest at the end of the episode. Beautiful. Loved it. it had a cute this little is, squirrel. I loved it. Right. Yeah. First off, it was animated beautifully. I don't mm-hmm. think we've said it enough. The animation in this series is unbelievably gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing the variants of all the planets and things like that is just amazing. Raxus is actually the capital planet of the Confederacy of Independent Systems later. I think it's purposeful because Dooku will spend a lot of time on that planet later. <laughs> yeah. That a key choice for him in happens on this planet. Mm-hmm. And this episode really continues the theme of people telling Dooku that the Jedi don't actually serve the Republic and or the people who they really serve is the Senate and Mace and Dooku which great pairing didn't know I needed this also in the next episode with Dooku and Yaddle never knew I needed these these pairings in um in a series and I absolutely did but the comparison between Mace and Dooku I think is excellent and very obvious when we're thinking about these characters, where they end up uh, in the Jedi Order, and kind of their ultimate ends, too, uh, throughout the prequel trilogy. But Mace and Dooku are going to Raxus to investigate a murder that has happened of a Jedi, another Jedi Master. I don't know if we wrote down her name. Her name is Master Katri. Katri, yes. Thank you. 
But this, thinking about the comparison between Ahsoka and Dooku, uh, this definitely reminded me of the Ahsoka Leaves arc. Ahsoka is investigating a murder, and this ultimately leads to her dismissal from the Jedi and her choice to leave the Jedi, too. So I think we're really kind of setting everything up for Dooku here for ultimately what happens in the next episode, The Sith Lord. And Dooku has a lot of great zingers to Mace, particularly in the beginning of this episode where he says, your devotion to rules is sometimes inspiring and sometimes maddening, (laughs) which was just a bit of a... (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> I would be so. Annoyed. I feel like he's speaking for the audience yeah. here, right? <laughs> I think um, overall, this episode with Mace and Dooku, not to kind of get ahead of myself, but thinking about how Mace talks about Dooku in uh, Revenge of the Sith or um, in the Clo- in Attack of the Clones, where he talks about how Dooku has left the Jedi Order, but he would never try to assassinate Padme. Like he's a good person. He was. A Jedi, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of now putting a little bit, a, a little bit of added context onto their relationship with this episode, I think is really cool because they butt heads a lot here. But Duke, uh, Mace also can't imagine a world where Dooku would truly do something like fall to the dark side or try to assassinate a senator. Right. Like uh, the perception that Mace has of Dooku, especially from this episode, is that he just doesn't follow the rules. And that's just in in opposition to Mace's own character, which at the end gets rewarded. And I think that's like, that's it. Right. Like that's kind of how Mace sees Dooku. And I think that that's so true, Caitlin, about, you know, it is so surprising when you watch Attack of the Clones and Padme's like, I think Count Dooku is behind it. I think Count Dooku is trying to kill me. And all of the Jedi are like, that's not possible he was a jedi and it's sort of like uh he left (laughs) he he left the jedi so what makes you think he's still in accordance to that code right or like has any sort of value with that and i think that with this episode makes it very clear that dooku and mace were friendly to each other or on similar uh, missions in a lot of ways, like physically <laughs> on similar missions and spend a lot of time together. So of course there's a sense of like defense from Mace about something like that. Mm-hmm. It really adds some good context. You're so right. Yeah. So some of the ways that the people write the, the drama here is that a Jedi, Jedi Master Khatri has been killed. They say it was an ambush. The Senator says it was an ambush, but really what becomes what is revealed in the episode is that all of the guards that are at, I guess, the palace or where the senator lives, that they are actually trying to overturn the senator and get him to uh, do their bidding. Because according to them, he was selling off their planet piece by piece, all from his comfortable residence on Coruscant. And Dooku eventually asks them, why did you let the senator live then? And they said, because we're going to force him to put together our own agenda at the next Senate meeting. And they tell Dooku as well that the Jedi claim peace, but mostly keep law and order for the wealthy and that they are lapdogs of the Senate. Very, um, a lot of harsh words, but we see the very same thing happen in the, in the previous episodes too. So again, Dooku is just like, thinking about like this war wearing down on him, or I guess the Clone Wars haven't even started yet, but this kind of change in the politics of the galaxy, um, kind of time and time again, Dooku goes on these missions and it's made clear that they are not always in the right, that there is more to the story than just 
a Jedi master was killed or a senator's son was kidnapped. Like there's a lot more going on and a lot of people in the galaxy are suffering. But one thing I liked about this episode, well, no, okay, sorry. First, we get to see another excellent office space when we go to the senator's office. And (laughs) I really liked he had some great bookcases with all the like digital (laughs) data pads and books. It was kind of like a little bit of like a round office. I really Mm -hmm. liked it. It seems like a corner office in a way. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I still think I preferred the moodiness of Captain Doza's office space in Resistance aboard the Colossus. If you guys listen to our Resistance episodes, I frequently talk about how much, well, how much I love the Colossus, but specifically Captain Doze's office. He's got like a lot of bonsai trees in there. Anyway, I really liked it. But I was glad to see (laughs) another kind of corporate office space here in Tales of the Jedi. (laughs) Once they start investigating what's actually happened and Dooku asks the guards to take them to the scene of the crime. One, this senator was so cagey and obviously so guilty of something. Immediately, you're like, (laughs) this guy. (laughs) (laughs) But once once kind of uh, they get to this space and they're realizing that the story isn't checking out, Dooku points out that a Jedi can really only be caught off guard if it's from someone that they're supposed to trust. And I was like, ooh. That is big Order 66 energy. It stings. (laughs) It really does. And then, of course, Dooku was caught off guard when Palpatine okayed Anakin to, you know, slice his head off. So, you know, just the foreshadowing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Again, with with these shorts, it really makes Anakin versus Dooku in Revenge of the Sith somehow even more painful is probably not the right word, but they really are performing in front of Palpatine at that point. Yeah. And in without Anakin's really knowledge of that competition at all. But I think that the way that Dooku ends when he is so caught off guard at the end there, I mean, it's clear how much he has done for Palpatine um, throughout his life. And now thinking about that scene in Revenge of the Sith, that hurts a lot. It really does, you know? Yeah. I um I really liked the line, Jedi are laptogs of the Senate, really just laid it all out there. <laughs> you know, I think that it was pretty clear that that was sort of an awakening for Dooku in a lot of ways. I think this episode serves as a big awakening for Dooku. And he tries to find a solution, tries to honor his friend, his, his Jedi friend who d- was murdered there um, and is just not rewarded for it in, in the way that he needs to be. Um, I also want to comment on something that I thought was slightly interesting. At the at the funeral of Master Khatri, Kayati Mundi is speaking something to the effect of she led the younglings and was a great resource to those who, who questioned themselves relentlessly. I just thought it was interesting that in Kiati Mundi's eulogy of Master Khatri, there was praise over the act of questioning yourself and questioning anything, because I think this episode actually proves that questioning anything will not get you rewarded at the end. And instead, that is being praised at this eulogy of someone who died. That could be nothing. That could be something. But I did I did think it was interesting that there was like two lines of this eulogy that you heard from Kiedi Mundi, and those were the lines. Personally, I just love seeing uh, Kiedi Mundi in a hood. It was just the giant hood, massive hood. And he just, <laughs> it's up the entire time we see him. He never puts it down. <laughs> so intense. 
I personally, I love Coyote Mundi. I think there's that episode of him in the Clone Wars where he competes against Anakin and Ahsoka uh, for like a battle droid body count, which is kind of dark. But he's really funny in that episode, and I really like him. So I was excited to see him in this episode. But yeah, the uh, the hood was a lot, uh, and also his eulogy was something to think about. And uh, you had noted too in this eulogy that Mesa and Dooku are on opposite sides of the funeral, yes. which I think is yeah, important. Yeah, divided by a yellow line too, which I thought was Ooh. an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what to think about that or what to make from it, but it feels like yellow these days is the color of like a pure Jedi, I guess, mm-hmm. like a lightsaber color that is being used oftentimes in like new pieces of canon, especially I'm thinking about Ray. to be honest. Ray ending with a yellow lightsaber feels like akin to the Jedi temple guards. And that feels very um, sort of like organic Jedi, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if that's the dividing line, one is on the opposite side of the other and they stand in sort of direct opposition to what that origin Jedi is. Yeah. One thing I think is great about having kind of all three of Dooku's episodes in a row based on the right the chronology of the series is that these kind of threads that go through each of the episodes, right? Like episodes two and three, we see corruption of senators. And then in episodes three and four, we get to see this conversation about the council and what they ultimately believe. And right, Mace talks about um, he tells Dooku that they're guided by the council, not politics, nor ego, which, okay, you you wrote down Mace, sure. <laughs> the, like, sure. For <laughs> Jan energy. <laughs> yeah. And then seriously. in the next episode, we also see Yaddle telling Dooku about the position of the council and kind of their philosophy on things and how Dooku keeps pushing against that. And I loved in this episode how after they ultimately um, arrest all of the people on Raxus who were involved in the death of Master Katri and they're in prison, that Dooku is talking to the leader of that group. And basically he tells them, uh, make sure your people don't lose heart and evolve. That is the only way for victory for all of us. And then we see, I think, I can't remember it exactly, but then we see Mace outside of the the prison uh, where they're being held. And it's clear in that scene that Dooku is, again, on the side of the citizens. And he's basically giving advice to the people who killed Master Khatri, who killed another Jedi. And I... I think this is right like what Dave said in the panel about you could argue that many of the things Dooku decides to do were for the right reasons and then that ultimately leads him to fall into Sidious's trap and I think this is another one of those examples where we feel like Dooku kind of doesn't know what to do um, or we feel that he's making the right choices or that it's good or right of him to be talking to these prisoners, understand where they're coming from and want to make a change. And this kind of standoff that him and Mace have at the end of the episode where he confronts Mace and asks him if he knew already that he was going to get the council, the seat on the council before they went to uh, Raxus. And Mace is very defensive, like, no, 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 no. Like we were in the same room, Dooku. I didn't know. (laughs) But 
I just think it's interesting to think about how Mace tells Dooku that his actions ultimately led to the death of a senator, and that's why Mace got promoted to the seat of the council. But Mace doesn't talk at all about how the senator was abusing his power at the expense of his people or his planet. And that right there is the 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 fall of the Jedi, I think. And yes. to not to put that all on Mace Windu. <laughs> but well <laughs> <laughs> but Well, I, that's that's rude. I shouldn't do that. But I think that Mace is often, even in Revenge of the Sith, a character that that's exactly what's happening. You do put it all on Mace in a weird way. Yeah. Because he does become a figurehead of the Jedi Council. Yeah. And of and even even at the end of what Attack of the Clones, when they're talking about maybe the prophecy was misread about Anakin, that Mace says that, right? I think that's mm-hmm. him. But yeah, I think this kind of having this realization at the end that it's because Dooku didn't follow the rules and a senator died and Mace was rewarded with the council seat. And you've mentioned this word rewarded a couple times in thinking about Dooku and what happens to him at the end of this episode. But I think we should maybe move away from that word because I don't think that's how Dooku views it. I think Dooku is seeing here that, again, Mace is getting this position of power when he's not even addressing what's actually happening on a planet like Raxus and that the senator was abusing his power. And I even think the thought of being rewarded within the Jedi is probably the wrong thought anyway. And that's part of the reason why Mm -hmm. Anakin had a downfall that he did because he was thinking about things as like levels to achieve. Right. Yeah. Um, And I still think that is probably not a great system within the Jedi as well. I think that's why um, Qui-Gon turns down that council seat too. He recognizes that, that you can do more if you're not on the council. And like this, this hierarchy that is present within the Jedi council is probably part of their downfall as well. And blah, 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 like all those things. I think that when I say rewarded, I mean that through Dooku's lens, he is, Mace is, getting recognition from the rest of the Jedi in that Dooku is not getting recognition of that Mm -hmm. at all. Right. And I think that whether or not Dooku wants that is, is up for debate, but at the same time, I think that it's clear who is getting favored and who isn't. Yeah. And I think Dooku is seeing how all of this is not good for the Jedi overall, that someone like that someone like Mace, who in this situation has not seen or really acknowledged the calamity of what was happening on Raxus, that he's now in even more of a position of power and what that means for the mm-hmm. council's decisions later down the line, that they're going more and more into this kind of hard-lined, these are the rules, thou shall not break them ever under any circumstances. Right. Okay, let's, are we ready to talk about episode four? Yes, we are, and move into part three of our episode. Listen, Big Deal, you got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking about episodes four through six. So let's start with episode four, The Sith Lord, directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Dave Filoni. So... This episode. <laughs> this, this is it. This is it. This is this is it. This episode, I am actually not kidding when I say this. I threw my computer on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I I 
And when it happened, I was like, oh, wow. And I didn't I didn't even think about the fact that like I could have potentially broken my computer. I was just absolutely <laughs> shocked <laughs> by it. Anyway, what'd you think of this episode? <laughs> what didn't I think of this episode? <laughs> what didn't you think? Oh this, is, this is absolutely my favorite episode of the series. And really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. No. How could this not be? I'm sorry. I mean, I think it's I think it's one of the best ones ever. But I am I was so charmed by the next episode too. So I don't know. You were charmed by the war of the next episode. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> no, this episode. This episode had everything. This episode had soft moments between. Qui-Gon and Dooku like incredible we had Yaddle we had another duel between Dooku and Yaddle we've got Sidious there we've got the music we've got this piano we've got Pat we've got Dooku's ruminations I'm so excited to talk about this after you and I were texting about this the other night we have the crazy tree again the making tree. another appearance <laughs> it's just, this episode has everything and was so shocking like I think the last two episodes with Dooku it's kind of like okay cool I can see what we're talking about here I can see where Dooku you know how he falls right you're like yeah all right awesome and then this episode is just like shit hits the fan like it's sorry in this episode it just it you know it hits the fan you know what I mean like everything (laughs) spirals keeping it pg keeping it pg (laughs) (laughs) everything spirals and this in the first part when I was talking about the transition between episodes four and five that we go from this and even thinking what we talked about in the last episode about how Mace talks about Dooku uh, later on in Attack of the Clones that he has no idea what has happened in this episode that Dooku murdered Yaddle (laughs) And was also working for Sidious in some capacity while he was still a Jedi. Whoa. Earth shattering (laughs) information. I don't even know where to start. Like, where do we start? On this episode. Well, I think, I I don't think we can go in chronological order. Let's just start with a couple things. Okay. 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 The fact that, first off, this episode had, let's start in the soft moments, that they grow up so fast moment between... (laughs) Uh, Dooku talking to Yaddle about Qui-Gon. I mean, again, going back to that quote about how Dave is interested in exploring what is passed down between Master and Apprentice, this was a moment to me that reminded me of how Masters and Apprentice often play the parental figure. And I think Star Wars is actually at its strongest when it can play up that relationship dynamic. And I think we saw that in Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think we see that like the strongest bonds between Anakin and Obi-Wan are when it's familial. Um, I just think that that was a moment that just really made me just think so much about how much he cares and cared about Qui-Gon, especially later when he when Qui-Gon dies and clearly Dooku blames the council, which I was a little like confused about that one about <laughs> four. I don't know. I I that was the moment where I was like, I don't know if I fully agree with Dooku here for blaming the council. Well, well, I think... Yeah, I, I would like to dance a little bit about this topic. <laughs> let's, let's dance. <laughs> yeah. So when Dooku and Qui-Gon and Yaddle have this conversation uh, at the beginning of the episode, Yaddle tells Dooku that Qui-Gon uh, has met a Sith Lord, 
and how this is pretty intense. And Dooku immediately believes Qui-Gon. You know, he asks him straight up. I forget what he asks him, but he's like, you know, you've seen a Sith Lord. That's crazy or something like that. Whereas the council is much more hesitant about it. And I think that's the perspective we see from Yaddle. Then later on, it's a Sith Lord that kills Qui-Gon. And so I think from Dooku's perspective, it's kind of like if you had actually believed Qui-Gon. Given him some support. Yeah. And like took it seriously rather than acting from a place of caution. Mm -hmm. Qui-Gon wouldn't have died. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think at this point, Dooku is playing a little bit of a double agent because he he knows that there is, like the Sith are back, the Sith are present because he's actually talking with Darth Sidious. So he's talking to a Sith Lord. I'm not sure if he knows about Maul at this point, like specifically as a person, but I think he's his frustration is that he has this inside knowledge and it's probably a similar frustration that he feels when he is talking to obi-wan in attack of the clones about Mm -hmm. about the senate controlling everything that the sith are controlling everything that the pup you know everything that's happening on geonosis that he tells uh, obi-wan um and he's sort of like no one's listening to me uh so i do understand that frustration um but i think that this episode like fully reframes how i thought i think about the Phantom Menace in a lot of ways and like Qui-Gon's own death, I guess. How would how would the council have supported Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan with Darth Maul? With just like bringing more Jedi, like starting an all-out war, I suppose? Well, I don't think that the council like fully believed that it was a Sith Lord or mm. or that it was just like some other Darksider perhaps. Because right in the Phantom Menace, don't they talk about like, aren't there supposed to be two? Do you think this is the master or the apprentice? Like they're a little bit wishy-washy if I'm remembering the conversation correctly. But I think it's important to note here that this episode basically takes place fully within the Phantom Menace timeline. And this, in the first conversation between Qui-Gon, Dooku, and Yaddle, um, the first time I watched it, I assumed that Dooku was not in cahoots with Sidious yet. And I'm still not sure if he was because I kind of think that it's after what happens with Qui-Gon that he fully begins to align himself with Sidious or kind of in that transitional period. Totally. He has two feet in two worlds. Yeah, exactly. But it's not during this conversation with Yaddle and Qui-Gon at the beginning. I don't think he does. I think he is fully still with the Jedi at this point. He basically says that he's been warning the council for years about the growing darkness. And one, I think this... Yeah, no, the the quote is, I've been warning them of the coming darkness. Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, I think this conversation was kind of funny, too, because... He's clearly kind of talking at Qui-Gon, even though there's a member of the council right there and he's like not speaking very well. And Yaddle at one point finally goes, well, speaking as a member of the council. I know. I loved that. I loved that. We haven't even talked about Yaddle like fully, but I think what was an interesting thing was that Dooku was really frank with Yaddle. Yeah. And then it's later revealed that Yaddle believed Dooku to the point where she has stepped down from the council and believes it because of everything that Dooku has told Yaddle and that is still not enough for Dooku. Mm, 
it's just it's so hard and I think the end of that that first conversation between Yaddle, Qui-Gon and Dooku is really pointed when after Qui-Gon leaves and you know Dooku says they grow up so fast kind of thing he says now I must take my leave after he leaves the scene with Yaddle it just feels very pointed that of course we're we're leading towards him leaving the Jedi order altogether but I don't think he's there yet also we haven't even talked about the beginning of this episode where Dooku deletes Kamino out of the archives using Sifo-Dyas' code it's like it's okay there's a couple things I need to talk about yes number one it's like remarkably easy to delete things in the archive okay <laughs> number two honestly we needed this scene maybe 10 years ago right <laughs> it's remarkably easy I guess as it is to delete from the the archives to dispel perhaps the most confusing thing of Attack of the Clones. <laughs> this could have uh, <laughs> just I'm like so I'm sort of like semi frustrated by it because I think it it is so simple. It was literally like a one minute scene and it would have been nice if that was clearer in Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith or something, right? Like I think that that would have helped the mystery of Sifo-Dyas that is just and I, I say this with love as Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the... Like, I love the prequels with all of my heart. I just feel like that has always been the most confusing thing. And a thing that I even watch it as a diehard Star Wars fan with a Star Wars podcast. And I'm like, that's confusing. I don't get it still. Sometimes, you, <laughs> even after having the audio drama, I think that sometimes Sifo-Dyas kind of runs into Ochia Bastoon territory of like, yeah. what is going Like, where are our story threads here? Um, <laughs> and this scene honestly almost feels like, and I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier. It's not Yaddle who talks to Qui-Gon, uh, Dooku about Qui-Gon saying there's a Sith Lord. It's Jocasta New who has that mm -hmm. conversation with Dooku. That what I was going to say is it almost feels like someone in the animation department or, you know, Dave or Saul, someone was like, Yeah, so I think there's an opportunity here where we could just like kind of slot this in and just kind of <laughs> clear <laughs> clear this clear story some, thread clear up some a little bit. Up. Um because it, it could be like a you could kind of take that whole scene out. And the story, the rest of the story would still flow <laughs> perfectly fine, I think. Um, yeah, I, it, that's true. Except I think that it was something that Sidious had specifically asked Dooku true. of. Yeah. So then in that conversation later, which I think is so loaded, by the way, I love yeah. this. You question my loyalty always. I've done everything you've asked. And I'll ask more of you if we need. Like, <sighs> oh my gosh, the machinations of Palpatine is so insane oh, the questioning the loyalty always is so sith and okay. yeah. i i thought that was really a good a good conversation so quick and so loaded because juku clearly feels a lot of weight over what he has done for sidious at this point and yeah. it's again in the conversation of i'm going to say the word again even though you told me not to of being rewarded <laughs> and Dooku is not being rewarded in like any situation right he yeah. never finds that relief at all no and at all. Dooku really is here trying to figure out a way to operate within his own moral code within the galaxy because he's feeling like the Jedi are actually working against it he he is aware of the growing darkness that he references at the beginning of the episode. Even if he's not working with Sidious yet, he knows that bad things are coming. And it's clear through the past two episodes that he's not aligning with how he, 
also feels that the Jedi are the lapdogs of the Senate. I think we can infer that for his character after the last two episodes. And he talks at the end of this episode to Yaddle about bringing peace and order. And Yaddle says something to the effect of, this isn't like, what kind of order is this? I wish I had written down. But Dooku says, let me bring you peace then. And kills her (laughs) it's 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 so chilling but the great thing about this episode is that this is Dooku's Revenge of the Sith and this is how I'm always going to refer to this episode now is this is Dooku's Revenge of the Sith because we get what I am now also going to call Dooku's ruminations in the middle of this episode when we find out that Qui-Gon has died and even as we zoom in to the Jedi Council and the sky is that is 75% dark clouds and then 25% sunset. And if there's one thing we love to talk about with the prequels in Revenge of the Sith, it's the sky and it's the sunset (laughs) of the Jedi Order (laughs) and the the galaxy. (laughs) And we see that here, but this is Dooku's Revenge of the Sith, this whole episode. And him in front of the tree when he's waxing poetic about how Qui-Gon loved the tree and Qui-Gon was born on Coruscant, so he didn't even really know what nature was. And and Yaddle is just listening. And the the music then is even very, it's got a choir in it. It's very much Padme's ruminations and very Revenge of the Sith influenced, I think. And so that moment later on uh, where he finally does kill Yaddle It feels like the moment when Anakin kills Mace. And when Mm -hmm. Dooku collapses after that, it's very much the what have I done moment that we see Anakin have with Palpatine later on in the actual Revenge of the Sith movie. And I think very similar to Anakin, Dooku is like, I've this is it. Like, (laughs) I can't come back from this, (laughs) from killing Yaddle, you know? And I think it's very similar. Yeah, it's very heartbreaking. I also want to comment that I said a couple, like, when we were talking about a couple more episodes about how Palpatine has a lot of similarities between what he's saying to Dooku as as he is what he's saying to Anakin later, if we want to continue to go on the Revenge of the Sith comparison. Um, Palpatine says, remember what you told me to Dooku. And that's exactly what he says to Anakin Mm -hmm. to lure him in in Revenge of the Sith. He says, remember what you told me about your mother and the Sand People. And I think that this is the same situation. Palpatine is in Dooku's head feeding him lines and feeding him. um, I said lines, but it's also lies. What's sad is that I think that if we want to do the comparison between um, Anakin and Mace and Palpatine and Dooku and Yaddle and Palpatine in that turning moment, um, Yaddle really does believe Dooku and has done a lot to believe believe him about a lot of things, even validating him in the fact that the council um, was responsible for Qui-Gon's death uh, and that she says that you know Qui-Gon didn't have to die and everything like that. And Mace actually similar similarly does that to Anakin. It's a little bit more reserved. It's not as emotional mm-hmm. and not as validating as Yaddle is to. While Yaddle was more compassionate to Dooku than Mace was to Anakin, I still think that it's pretty similar. Mace is really trying to appeal to Anakin in, in those last moments of his life, I think, too. Uh, just not enough that, like, in comparison to Palpatine. And I think what's 
What's crazy sad about the Yaddle situation, first off, the fake out death is what made me throw my computer, if you're wondering. (laughs) (laughs) That was insane. I can't even speak on it properly. I think the timing of all of that was just like, oh my God, she was squashed. She was squashed. squashed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And then the fact that later Yaddle dies, I assume in the same way that Dugu dies. Um, I don't know if it was a beheading, but I sort of got that sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, They didn't show it because it's animation, but um, I did sort of think that that was a purposeful parallel. And it was so fast, just like the fake out death. But then also that second death was just like, oh my gosh. Everything about that though, I just couldn't not think about Anakin. It's very clear that, yeah, this is Dooku's Revenge of the Sith. This is Dooku's like major turn. This is when he stops having two feet in the door. And then I can only assume is shortly after this is when he leaves the Jedi Order. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, after this moment, it's uh, he's he's out of the Jedi completely. And no one is the wiser about what happened to Yaddle. Like, what do they think happened? She just like disappeared, that she was killed somehow. Does Dooku say that he fought a Sith Lord, but Yaddle was lost? You know, I just, it's, uh, this episode was so intense. And even again, the music, the the piano during Dooku and Yaddle's duel. And when she's kind of hiding behind the, the ship in the hangar, uh, trying to appeal to him. And then he just like rips it away and they start fighting. Oh my gosh. It's just, this episode was incredible. Like, hands down, incredible. Also, the voice of Yaddle, Bryce Dallas Howard. Queen. <laughs> I First off, I didn't expect it to be her when we saw the credits. I thought it was um, a British actress. Like, I thought it was the person that played Molly Weasley in oh. Harry Potter. And then I was shocked. absolutely shocked but it makes sense and I'm really happy about it yeah yeah this is you know this this duel between Yaddle and Dooku uh, 10 years ago would not have ever imagined I needed an episode like between the two of them exactly that's exactly what I was about to say Caitlin is that I was never someone who was like I need to hear and see and know more about Yaddle. Like, I actually yeah. didn't care that much. Well, and I was sort of... funny. It was just like, oh, right. like the girl version of Yoda, the female Yoda, you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that this, what was good about this episode is it didn't over-explain things either. It was just, here's Yaddle. This is Yaddle. Yes, she's here <laughs> I guess. Well, and um I think at the same time though it made me really like her character and I was surprised by that because again I just I didn't even know and like you said this was not even something you knew that you needed yeah yeah well <laughs> what's great too is that Yaddle doesn't speak in the same cadence that Yoda does so I'm just gonna say that now Yoda is a choice he chooses to speak like that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know. And so Grogu doesn't have to speak in backward sentences is the point here. I, I actually I think you're so right. And they were like, you know what? We have an opportunity here. Let's, we're not boxing ourselves yeah, in. Right. Let's not write ourselves into a corner where Grogu yeah. has to speak backwards. <laughs> so funny. Okay, Caitlin, how 
now this episode completes the three episode arc of Dooku in this anthology. How does it relate to Ahsoka and Ahsoka's end with the Jedi Order? I think that we see both of them being betrayed by the Jedi in some form and fashion. Um, They both are able to see this bigger picture of the ways that the Jedi are failing the galaxy. And I think Dooku sees this on a much larger scale by the time we get to this episode, the Sith Lord. And I think Ahsoka understands that at the end i think her i think her betrayal is obviously much more personal than like dooku's like if i had to compare them i think dooku is betrayed by the the system and the problems in the system of the jedi order as an organization now and all of the ways that that is failing the galaxy whereas i think ahsoka you know she has a master like anakin who plays by his own rules a lot of the time so i think she sees how that is beneficial, but it's still good for them to be in the Jedi and follow what the council says and stuff like that. We, and we, like we mentioned earlier, we've seen her reigning Ahsoka, uh, reigning Anakin in, in the past before. Right. But what happens with her at the end of season five of the Clone Wars is so personal. And, uh, we see her in those episodes talking about like the council didn't believe me. No one believes me. And Anakin's like, of course I do. And she's like, that's not enough anymore. But I think it's after she leaves the Jedi that we see in season seven, especially with her arc with the Martez sisters, where she sees just how different the reputation of is the Je- how different the reputation of the Jedi is now throughout the galaxy. And I think that kind of uh, continues to build her opinions about the Jedi and who they are in the galaxy right now and how they're how they're serving the will of the Republic and the Senate rather than the people. And she kind of says that uh, in season seven, in some of her arguments with uh, Obi-Wan, actually, when they go after Palpatine and Ahsoka's like, is that really the most important thing you could be doing right now? (laughs) And Obi-Wan is like, that is so not fair. And she says, I'm not trying to be. (laughs) I'm not trying to be. Right. It's just (sighs) like, this is, so 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 intense um but i think yeah i think they both come to similar conclusions about it just kind of in different ways and them both going on different paths you know dooku he wants to make things right in this kind of weird his definition of what right is obviously becomes very corrupted like he clearly falls to the dark side uh that's that's he's a Sith Lord, right? We can't really not say he isn't, but it's very complicated. It's not straightforward. And I am really thankful now that we have these stories that kind of explore that complication a little more. And even in Attack of the Clones, when he captures Obi-Wan, he is appealing to Obi-Wan with the truth of what's actually going on. Uh, So I think he realizes that he is also caught in a web and doesn't know how to get out, can't get out, doesn't think he should get out. You know, I think there's still a lot more to Dooku's story, but I think there are a lot of important comparison points to Ahsoka. And yeah, the choices that they make, the fate that is dealt each of them, and how the Jedi brought about both of their ultimate fates. Yeah, I think you said something interesting, which was when no one believed Ahsoka, 
and Anakin did, it wasn't enough for Ahsoka. And I think that you can make the comparison that when Yaddle mm. believed Dooku, it wasn't enough for him either. Yeah. And while Dooku turned and maybe was manipulated by Sidious because of his ideals about how to bring peace and order, like you talked about, Ahsoka didn't really have that you know, sense of justice in the same way uh, that Dooku does. That's not really a negative. It's just like not, it was sort of all Dooku was concerned with. And Ahsoka was, I think, I think Ahsoka is more of an individual, to be honest. But I, yeah, I think that that is a very clear comparison point between them, between both of them. Yeah, I can't speak highly enough about this episode and about Dooku's whole trajectory. It just, I really feel like this is going to be the one that people are talking about. Yeah, you had said earlier that there might be people who aren't watching Dooku's episodes that only watch Ahsoka's and, you know, pour one out for those people because they're missing a lot. Yeah, that's a huge (laughs) loss. And when I said that, I mean that as that is a huge loss. But I think we all know that there are people who are just like watching for Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Which is fine. It's just this is this is you know what to me it's not fine. They need to watch <laughs> this episode. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. And I completely agree. I'm just trying to be nice. Okay. No, no more nice no. niceness. <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we move on to episode five? Yes. Let's move on to episode five. Goodbye, Dooku. Goodbye. Hello, Ahsoka. <laughs> Dooku. Hello, Ahsoka. All right. The episode five. Hello, Ahsoka. This episode is entitled Practice Makes Perfect and once again directed by Saul Ruiz, written by Dave Filoni. This this was the Annie Soka content we've been waiting for. <laughs> like yes. from the trailer and everything, I think there were two, three big things that I was looking forward to. One, Anakin and Ahsoka. Two, Padme's funeral. Three, Dooku and Qui-Gon. And all of those things delivered for me, especially this episode with Anakin and Ahsoka. My list is exactly the same, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I completely agree. I think that the pacing of this episode was really good. It could have been maybe four times as long and I would have enjoyed <laughs> it. Like, give me more. I can. I don't think I'll ever get over the master and apprentice relationship that Anakin and Ahsoka have. Mm-hmm. I think it is so unique and so well written and I have so many emotions about it. Like, so many. I loved how Anakin was late to this training and then later Ahsoka was also late. And they basically had the same conversation between Obi-Wan and Anakin and then Anakin uh, to Ahsoka. I just loved that. goes back to the conversation. I'm just going to keep bringing it up about how interested Dave is and is exploring about what gets passed on. I loved that. Um, You had written in here, Anakin hating the test in the very beginning is very Star Trek. It very much is. And this is the Kobarashi Maru and it is not... um, it's not enough for Anakin. <laughs> um, but one thing I think without getting too deep into the like plot points of this episode, because I do think that it is very much a a vignette situation of like moving between time periods and it's illustrated by the different costumes. It's also worth noting that Ahsoka does not have a tube top in this. And <laughs> so, I so important I, to note. <laughs> it is no, but it actually is so important. Right. And I'm so happy about I it. Know, and too. I think that Again, seeing this animation and this like beginning animation of the Clone Wars, I think is so great. Special, yeah. <laughs> it's it is really special. And I was telling Caitlin before we started recording, but this was the first time I looked at Anakin animated in this style from the very beginning with like a new updated lighting and just better graphics overall. I felt like it was the first time I looked at Anakin's like Clone Wars model and thought, you know, they really did craft his model to look 
close to Jake Lloyd, uh, the rounder face. It's not necessarily like a Hayden Christensen one-to-one. It was somewhere in between Jake Lloyd and Hayden Christensen. And I think we as a fandom might be forgetting that sometimes. I found that quite interesting. It was one of the first times it's ever hit me. Anyway, I think what really got me about this episode was in the very beginning, you see Anakin just being so huffy about Ahsoka mastering this test and it's just not good enough for Anakin. And in the very beginning, I was like, Anakin, just like, can you be nice for five seconds (laughs) to Ahsoka? And I know he was, this was in the point where he didn't know exactly how to be the proper master to Ahsoka and he didn't want this assignment it interrupted his personal journey and his privacy (laughs) and his time that he could potentially even be spent spending with Padme and all of these things that I think when you have a new responsibility it's just not maybe what he was ready for but it is what he needed so again I was frustrated by that and I think I felt bad for Ahsoka because I can imagine her position here being She's chosen to be Anakin Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker's Padawan, and that must feel really good. But when she gets in that position, there is just nothing but antagonism from Anakin to Ahsoka. And I think the shift, though, is realizing that Anakin's want for the test to be harder isn't because he is like a mean teacher, it's more about protection, which is how it always goes back to Anakin's character, right? Is that he never wants the, like the responsibility of having Ahsoka means um, eventually feeling for Ahsoka like you would for a daughter. And therefore he is always going to be concerned about losing her. And so in this situation, he needs to make sure that he's arming her with as much proper training that he can so that he is not put in the position that he is guilty for her loss. Um, Of course, like later we do find that guilt when she does leave the Jedi order. Uh, It's just a different type of guilt. And um, there's also a sense of understanding there as well. But um, I think we also see this guilt that Anakin feels when Qui-Gon, I'm not Qui-Gon, that Anakin feels when Obi-Wan fakes his death mm-hmm. later in the season. And we see Anakin really lose it over that. Um, and so then you wonder, and I remember watching that live when it was airing and thinking about like, oh my God, what's going to happen when Ahsoka dies? Because that was still something that was potentially going to happen, right? Because we didn't understand her ending. But yeah, I, I think that once you realize that this test is about making sure that Anakin isn't responsible for her death that is it becomes about like protection and love versus like (laughs) being a rude teacher (laughs) I guess yeah I think we can all see like Anakin's perspective in this episode which one I love the beginning of it when she like runs out after him and it's just you know like what is the problem He, like, pulls her to the yeah. side. <laughs> He's, like, watching all the others. And everyone's looking at them. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was so funny. Classic Anakin and Ahsoka. One fun thing to also note about this episode is that in the training room, Kenan and Depa are there uh, watching Ahsoka, which is pretty cool. And also, randomly, uh, I was scrolling Dave Filoni's Twitter <laughs> uh, as 
you know, we all do. <laughs> mainly, okay, mainly because Charlotte and I were talking about the drawings that he does. Of course, they're so great. And he doesn't have, he, he has like under 500 posts on his Twitter. So it's not hard to <laughs> scroll through every single one of them. <laughs> but the drawings and things like that that he posts on there are great. And I uh, came across this one actually that is about Kanan and Ahsoka and if they knew each other in the Jedi Temple. So this actually feels uh, full circle. So this post is from uh, July 22nd, 2017. And Dave posts this drawing of Ahsoka handing a lightsaber to Kanan. And then he posted it with this note that says, uh, Happy Friday, everyone. Since you seem to enjoy these drawings I've been doing, here's another tale left untold. Okay, LOL, Tales of the Jedi, tale left untold. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's another tale left untold till now, that is. If you've ever wondered if Kanan and Ahsoka knew each other or had met while they were younglings at the Jedi Temple, the answer is yes. They had met, though they did not know each other very well. They had at least done some saber training together. Years later, when she met Kanan, Ahsoka needed to see how prepared he was for the conflict ahead. Here is a small piece of that scene and perhaps the realization that in many ways, Ahsoka was a mentor to Kanan. Anyway, so then they, it goes on uh, to have show a little bit of, I guess, a script of Kanan and Ahsoka talking about basically training Ezra and Kanan getting confidence in using a lightsaber and training Ezra as a Jedi. But I think that's uh, I think that's really cool that this little snippet about Kanan and Ahsoka in the Jedi Temple. I think Kanan even talks about it at some point in Rebels. But uh, now getting to see another piece of that here actually in the training room of Kanan watching Ahsoka. It's very cool. It's super cool. Anyway, right? Like the Jedi Order is just continuing on with you know, everything that they've done before and nothing changes. And Anakin knows that this is not actually a test that ultimately means anything when you're put out on the battlefield. And it's very similar to what Rex tells Ahsoka in the Clone Wars movie of experience outranks everything. And Anakin, to, Anakin knows this too. It doesn't matter if Ahsoka can best some battle droids. That literally means nothing. But if she can beat living clones, that is what's going to save her in the end. And what do you know? <laughs> it does <laughs> in the most heartbreaking way I could ever possibly imagine. <laughs> the ending of this episode it was this realization that oh this is the time period uh -huh. we're in yeah that hurts so much dave how dare even, even <laughs> how when dare. we did the next jump like the the middle jump where she's in her like three through five character model i was like okay all right cool very cool did not even consider the possibility of being dropped into that moment and <sighs> It was it was very uh, intense is kind of the only mm -hmm. way to put it. And I loved this speech to Ahsoka that Anakin gives her because he references that it is his responsibility to teach her because the things that he's teaching her are actually a matter of life and death. And this is a great callback to the first episode when we were talking about that episode title and life and death and uh, Pavchi's message to her daughter of you must face death. Do not fear it. And I think it's great to kind of have this line between 
uh, Pavti and Anakin and how they've taught Ahsoka. I feel like there is a movement that she uses uh, in here, like with the lightsaber on her back, that she uses against Vader in Twilight of the Apprentice, which, you know, again, if we're just thinking about parallels, it's an emotional one. I really think that this episode's pure purpose was to make you emotional. And you think about... <laughs> <laughs> so true. And, right. I There's that the season finale of season three of The Clone Wars when Ahsoka is kidnapped and um, I forget who it is, but they're manhunting her. And at the end of it, there's this moment between Ahsoka and Anakin and... Anakin is telling Ahsoka that he's so sorry that he wasn't able to come for her sooner and save her. And Ahsoka says, no, it's because of all the things you taught me that I was able to survive and to lead others to survival. I think that's a really important thing that she says of I was able to survive and I was able to lead others to survive too because of your teachings. And all of that, I think, plays into an episode like this of what Anakin is able to teach Ahsoka that is outside of the norm of what the Jedi teach their Padawans. And I think that's so important. And I remember the the commentary on that episode from like the DVD bonus features. I remember Dave talking about how that moment at the end of season three is really important because Anakin and Ahsoka like bow to each other as master and apprentice. And we don't usually see that very formal respect between the two of them. They're obviously much more lighthearted and bantery a lot of the time. And so to see this very formal moment where Ahsoka refers to him as master and he says my Padawan I think it's very important and meaningful for the two of them because that's not usually how we see their interactions I don't know it's just the fact that Anakin teaches her how to go up against a series of clones when he is the one that will help initiate order 66 where the clones try to kill her you know, it, yeah, you guys know. I don't have to say it. I don't even know what to say. You guys just know. Dave Filoni is responsible for my therapy. <laughs> I I just feel like it's just, it's so good. This is 10 minutes and it's really just like loaded with painful knife to the heart moments, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, like I said, I think it's, these are all kind of things we've seen Anakin do for Ahsoka in other parts of the Cold Wars and we've we even know where we end the episode like we've seen that story we know how that ends so this is definitely one of those instances where I feel like Dave has had this story in his head for a long time and just wanted to tell it because there's there's nothing like inherently new that we learn in this episode compared to like our Dooku episodes or even the very first episode with Ahsoka or even the next episode with Ahsoka. This one feels purely as people who are fans of the Clone Wars and of these two characters to see another another story beat with them. And that's that's what it is. You're, it feels more emotional because we've already invested in these characters. I'm going to need about a hundred more of these. Right. <laughs> I know they exist. <laughs> Animate them, Dave. Let's go. <laughs> and that is a threat. Animate them. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing, uh, again, we have a lot of the similar musical cues to Ahsoka Leaves in this episode and the music cue of when Anakin hands her back her lightsaber after his life and death speech, very reminiscent of the music cue of when he tries to give her back the Padawan braid. 
at the end of season five. So whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. Anyway. (laughs) Totally fine. So good. Okay. Should we talk about episode six, the last one? Yes. All right. So episode six is called Resolve. It was directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Dave Filoni. And I feel anything but resolved. (laughs) Anyway, I am um, unprepared to talk about this. Okay. When, first off, I just like want to set the scene of seeing an absolute 0.25 second glimpse of this funeral in animated form when we were in at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. And I flipped out. Yeah, she did. Can, can confirm. And anytime I thought about it, it was like tears in the eyes. So the moment we start right at Padme's funeral, <laughs> it was um, so much. I just can't. I can't handle seeing this animated. For It looked gorgeous, by the way. But how dare they include this? <laughs> but also, I'm so glad they did. Okay? Because I think it was really important to illustrate. Like, it makes so much sense that Padme would I mean sorry it makes so much sense to me that Ahsoka would seek this out and go there and of course to honor her friend when she says to Bail she was my friend I mean knife to the heart breaking my heart in a thousand pieces like Anakin you're breaking my heart vibes right like it's so much but it makes that makes perfect sense separately but also I think it's even more devastating to consider that potentially Ahsoka went to Padme's funeral to look for Anakin there not knowing that Anakin was Vader not knowing that Anakin potentially like didn't did or did not survive Order sixty six and knowing that if Padme had a funeral that Anakin would one hundred percent be there and once he is not there and she's like walking away so solemnly I wonder if there was an acceptance that Anakin is gone that she's very much alone and that he's dead and so is Padme. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, we see Bail and Mon Mothma at the funeral. I like how you don't respond to that. You're just like, anyway, so we see Bail. I will, I will respond to that. I think that Ahsoka knows that Anakin is gone because Bail says to her uh, after he's following her down the corridor of um, – why why did you risk it? Why are you here? There's nothing you could have done for either of them, which I think is a Mm -hmm. direct reference, obviously, to Anakin. And again, we're hinting at a lot of people knowing what happened between Padme and Anakin here. I know. All I want is someone to say a sentence. Like a full sentence. Like I even, I'm sorry, I still in as much, we got a lot in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay, We, we got a lot, way more than I was even expecting, if I'm being honest. But I still am like, does anyone know that they were married? And I I, I want to know that. Like, I want someone to n- find that out. And I yeah. feel like no one has. Yeah. And it hasn't really been talked about at all. And that's kind of – Star Wars really thrives in a lot of that vagueness, mm-hmm. I think, in this these kind of conversations because then we're able to have the conversations that we're having now on this podcast and things like that. And I never expect them to be so direct, but Everyone's I think we're getting close to something. We, we yeah, got- I I <laughs> – we just have to wait <laughs> 10 years or however long since Attack of the Clones, right? We got very direct with the Camino thing now. So one day, yeah, <laughs> we'll get it's there. true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I, so I think she knows that he's gone, but oh my God, that moment of why did you risk it? She was my friend. <laughs> oh, I feel like this episode ow. too is very much like, I don't even have to say anything. 
You all know. I'm just sit here in silence and be emotional about it. <laughs> I know. I really. And the fact that it's Bale also talking to Ahsoka. I mean, <sighs> it brings about a lot of thoughts. Yeah, okay? coming off of Kenobi too, and understanding that Bale and Bale and Leia's or seeing Bale and Leia's relationship, and I think, I think Bale knowing knowing Bale in this moment has baby leia knows about luke knows who ahsoka is obviously like you you know what i mean like bale is one of those characters that kind of has information on everyone and it feels a little father-like how he talks to ahsoka or very gentle i would say in understanding that her entire world has been rocked i also wonder if he knew that she was alive um in this moment because i'm sure he knew that she left the jedi order right uh i just wonder if that was the surprise in seeing her there or if he knew she was alive you know what i mean but i this is probably my favorite part of the episode was the whole beginning of it not just for the angst you know hashtag star is a tragedy we're always here for that but when they're having their conversation on the balcony and bail you know gives her this calm link basically if she ever needs anything and Ahsoka says back, no, I'm tired of fighting. And I'm really glad that we have this moment with Ahsoka because for as much as we talk about Ahsoka being like a true and pure Jedi and kind of having all those qualities, I think we, I hope that we get more in the future of like more of her faults, you know what I mean? And these ways that she does fall short and mistakes that she's made, even like moral mistakes. And I think that having this moment with her where she is choosing not to be a part of the next steps, um, even thinking about the rebellion um, for how dark things have gotten in the galaxy. It feels like she's very much taking an Obi-Wan route in this moment. Um, and I'm just really glad to see that from her because I think that's important for her character overall. And I know we got some of that in the Ahsoka book too. So I don't want to pretend like we've never gotten that. And obviously Ahsoka learned a lot of lessons in the Clone Wars. But I think when I think of her post Clone Wars season seven, she always feels like she knows the right thing to do and is very confident and sure of herself. Um, so I like, I'm glad to have these kind of darker moments, honestly, with her. And I was really glad that they included this line of, I'm tired of fighting. Even if I don't think Bale was necessarily asking her to like join Fulcrum, for example, uh, I think he was genuinely telling her, like, if you need something, I'll be here for you. But I think Ahsoka also knows that that is, can be very loaded. Yeah, I think that's very true. Let's talk about the situation that happens on this planet and um, how she reveals herself. I think this goes to what you were saying about how uh, she always does the right thing and knows what the right thing to, is to do. And I think in this moment, like, of course, she's going to save the f girl. Like, of course, there's no question. You know what I thought of? What? It, this gave me big Edward Cullen saving Bella from the car. That's what I thought of. <laughs> it's kind of similar. <laughs> I, I, was thought, I thought you were going to say that in how an Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan during this time period has completely like shut himself off from the force yeah. and doesn't really help anyone. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between both of them is that Ahsoka, because she's not a Jedi, mm -hmm. she still has this understanding of the force that she has already actually been on her own without yeah. the Jedi order to back her up. So 
she is able and like has already started to hide that part of her mm-hmm. in a much like less drastic way than Obi-Wan ever did. And I thought that was interesting to see. And I think the Inquisitor situation, first off, I mean, the animation was unbelievable. The fire was so real. I could feel it. I could feel the heat. It was insane. And then the way that the cape on the Inquisitor looked, I was, I was, I don't know. It was unbelievable to me. I was like, this is next level. So gorgeous. They nailed it. And I liked that this Inquisitor kind of wasted no time and was like, oh, you're Ahsoka's, Ahsoka Tano. I can't believe, can it be, you know? And the fight with the fight between them was swift, exciting, and it did remind me a little bit of the move that Darth Vader used on Riva in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. It was very similar to me about the like use of the force and things like that. I was I don't know. I it was very, very similar to me. And I love anytime there's any similarities between Anakin and Ahsoka and their fighting powers. Again, going back, I'm beating a dead horse at this point of what is passed down between master and apprentice. What is passed down between master and apprentice? Uh, Dave Filoni is exploring that. And it's very clear that the fighting style here is similar to something that Anakin would do. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Uh, We should also mention that Rex is with Ahsoka after Padme's funeral. So I think that's something we haven't known before. So they separate at some point. The Clancy Brown as the Inquisitor in this episode, absolutely incredible. The whole thing was so chilling. And that kid on this planet who turns Ahsoka in, you can it's it's heartbreaking because of course he turns her in, which is sad in and of itself. But um seeing the result of what happened all of the people that died in that community, probably. And it's completely destroyed by this one inquisitor. It's just, I can't imagine the emotions of those, uh, of that family, of that group who now are leaving with Bail. I maybe to go to Alderaan, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. But this, it feels fitting to kind of end the series on this episode, especially with the title like Resolve. Uh, And we talked about this when we were talking about life and death of now Ahsoka has resolved. She knows that she, she needs to get back in this, that there's a lot of, a lot at stake. And her quote, right, that gets quoted all the time of like, when you see someone who needs help, like you should be there to help them. I can't think of what it Mm -hmm. actually is, but that's the (laughs) gist of it. Yeah. I think resolve also makes me think of how Ahsoka didn't necessarily blame the kid who Mm -hmm. turned her in. Yeah. In fact, she helps, she does like the most surprising thing and helps him and their and his family completely start over. And there's not really a lot of time even spent on that. It's just like, yeah, Ahsoka would forgive. Ahsoka would forgive. Yeah. And that's a sense of resolve. Like Ahsoka is one of the most resolved characters, I think, mm-hmm. in, in Star Wars. And I think it's weird because you don't often get a protagonist character like that in Star Wars who really does know herself. And it's more about the challenges she's faced versus like her like growth as and like growing and changing. I think that she is overall, I've said this before, representative of the light, the light. So I think her 
immediacy to forgive and then help them out is just just makes a lot of sense. And to me, that is the resolve there. Yeah. And there's this slight comparison, I think, back to Dooku's episode of Dooku never faulting the criminals, quote unquote criminals on those planets uh, and like the kidnappers who kidnapped the son, the people who killed the Jedi Master. He never appears to fault them or think that their choices were wrong, actually. And I think we kind of see that little bit of comparison here, too, with Ahsoka and uh, the kid that turned her in. Totally. I think it's just a reminder that if we're always thinking about the relationship that Ahsoka has with Anakin and how much he has impacted her life, that there was always going to be a sense of forgiveness there if she was ever in the position for him to turn back into the, turn back to the light. I know that that um, doesn't happen because it's Luke where that happens to. And Dave has spoken on that before, but I just think it's an always a reminder that I don't know if people see Ahsoka as like a daughter figure to Anakin in the same way that Caitlin and I do. And we've talked about this before and how there's, so much that like goes into that I guess between master and apprentice and like what Ahsoka represents to Anakin and things like that but I do sometimes wonder like if things had been different if the story wasn't written in the way that it is written with Return of the Jedi happening like I do think Ahsoka could have been the uh, someone to have brought Anakin back because of that forgiving nature yeah yeah although I we say that but in Twilight of the Apprentice she knows who that is right. and she makes the choice to avenge her master. Just, yeah. Yeah. So I I do wonder, you know, now that we've seen Ahsoka with Luke in the book of Boba Fett, you know, future conversations about Anakin that might come up and what yeah. those could entail. Um, maybe even another future Tales of the Jedi, right? Like we could have another season of Tales of the Jedi, but it could be like about Luke and Ahsoka and Ben and Rey. <laughs> And Finn. It would be so good. <laughs> um, and now I'm just listing off like a bunch of characters. <laughs> but Well, Ben Ben Solo would be a really good one to follow first off because yeah. if we're going with the theme of Lost Jedi, it's the same situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? exactly. So. so it seems like that should already be in the works. Thank you. Good night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. It, it's weird because I feel like we haven't I, – I feel like there's – so much to talk about with the Ahsoka episodes but I also think that it's mostly for me it's just emotion about the Ahsoka episodes rather than like Dooku's episodes like narrative meat (laughs) as I might describe it but with Ahsoka's it's like wow these are all things I kind of knew about her and inferred about her but to see them on screen to see them so beautifully animated and um, Ashley Eckstein did such a fantastic job having to go between a lot of different uh, stages of Ahsoka. We know that her voice and her performance changes of Ahsoka like over Mm -hmm. the years. And so to see a lot of that kind of condensed into these very short episodes, I think just speaks to how um, good of a voice actress Ashley is and how well she can play Ahsoka at this point too, after all of this time. So I just can't speak highly enough about this episode. It was so beautiful and so emotional. Um, I kind of can't get over it. Me too. Me too. I know that the thing about Tales of the Jedi for me is that it's something I'm going to return to a lot. And because they're shorts, I feel like it's easy to fire one up and just get a lot of feels about (laughs) this specific time period and these characters. And I know 
just like I feel with honestly everything Dave Filoni, um, that I will get something different out of it each time I watch it. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, is there anything else you want to say about episode six or any of our episodes? <sighs> Just I'm so grateful for all of it. I It's like it was the biggest surprise, I guess, that this is the content that we were going to get when we all we knew was the title in the beginning of the year. And then when it was revealed that it was Ahsoka and Dooku and this exploration, it just it is so cool. And often I think Star Wars, I don't think gets enough credit for exploring all these different types of facets of different characters and how this this feels like so experimental to me, even though it is leaning on a time period that is a fan favorite. It even says that in the press release and things like that. But I think it's just a different type of format and also bringing in a character that hasn't really necessarily been fully explored in animation. I just think it was a really bold move. And for me, it really paid off. And it's probably, it's hard to say because we've had an uh, amazing slate of Star Wars this year. Oh my God. But it is, it was so good. It's hard for me to say it's my favorite of the year and I don't even really want to choose, so I'm not going to, but (laughs) it really was the thing that you and I, I think we're looking forward to the most since we heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Very much so. And it's crazy to think about the year 2022 in Star Wars of Kenobi, Andor, uh, Path of Deceit, which the higher public, which we are fully obsessed with. Uh, Starting the year with Book of Boba Fett and then this celebration. And then it's crazy. There is no way I can possibly pick a favorite. Um, It's it's just it's an impossible task. It really is. (laughs) I think this series felt so feel still feels so big to talk about, uh, even though it is, you know, uh, ironically, a short series, a short anthology. Um, I feel like you and I really have been looking forward to it so much that uh, it was almost like, how in the world are we even going to begin to talk about this? Like we talked about so many different formats (laughs) for this episode (laughs) and how to go through these shorts. And I still feel like we've missed so much, but I know that this is going to be something that we're, it's going to we're going to be referencing a lot on the show, um, especially mm-hmm. episode four. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's something that's really going to carry uh, carry throughout the Star Wars, you know, the Star Wars franchise as a whole. And that will become like necessary viewing, especially once you get into the Clone Wars and things like that. It just it feels really special. And yeah, I'm glad that we can have these stories like this. Like it doesn't have to be this huge you know, series, we can just do these short snippets and it can still be incredible and meaningful. And uh, this just means that there's room for so many other things like this. And it's cool to see Star Wars kind of do, like you said, these things that are more experimental, like even thinking about visions, thinking about, you know, developing the volume for one thing too, like doing something like this, an animated passion project and um, even taking on something as big as the High Republic. Uh, there's a lot of creativity and a lot of risk in a lot of those projects too, uh, from like a business standpoint, I imagine. Um, even with something totally. like Tales of the Jedi, where I think we know, like I'm sure the risk is lower because <laughs> you know there's an audience who loves <laughs> the Clone Wars, so not quite the same. But like, how are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Right? These are all things that have to be considered. And I'm just really glad that 
uh, we have creators who love what they do and are excited to find ways to tell some of these smaller and bigger stories that don't necessarily fit into the schedule of what's currently being released, you know? Yeah. It's almost like everyone say thank you, Carrie Beck, because (laughs) it seems like she might have been the one to push it through. Of course, I don't know the inner workings of Lucasfilm and their production schedule, but I'm just going off what Dave gave credit to. And I know that she was also pretty responsible for pushing through Clone Wars season seven too. Yeah. Again, everyone say thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Carrie Beck. Apparently (laughs) in uh, your dad. All right. Well, I think somehow that is going to wrap up this episode. Um, Tell us what your favorite episode was, uh, what you hope the next Tales of the Jedi anthology is, assuming it happens. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I would like to see it. So anyway, who would you like to see up next in a similar kind of storytelling uh, avenue of Tales of the Jedi? You can find us online on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles at Clarity is Charlotte's and at Caitlin Plusher is mine. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our Instagram, our Facebook, our TikTok, all great places to find us. And if you have a couple seconds to spare, we would love it if you would go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support our show, you can head on over to Patreon, check out our rewards tiers there. We've recently put up a couple of fun bonus episodes geared at Andor, and we're really excited about that. And um, of course, we have our whole backlog of bonus episodes there up on Patreon. So if you're interested, you can definitely head on over there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Emily, Adam, John, Dylan, Alex, Fifi, King, Kimberly, Suki, Paul, Shelby, Derek, Tegan, Imbecilius, Sarah, and Kat. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.